0: And welcome back to Skeptics and Seekers, everyone. I'm your host, David Johnson. And today we're going to pick right up on the uh, topic, uh, the series that we've been doing, why I no longer care about the Bible, why I don't think you should either. And uh, we are on either part four or five, depending on how you do the count. Because actually the last two weeks have been episodes where I've talked about Jesus. And Jesus, because Jesus was actually supposed to be one episode, and by popular demand, it became two episodes. But it was really the same argument. And also, by popular demand, one person requested <laughs> I can keep it going. So, uh, yeah. So, there's that. So, we did two episodes on one argument. So, actually, this is argument four. But it's part five. I'm trying to get confused with the numbering. And this week, it's on the method... Uh, there's there's no method for confirmation so the reason why we should care um, or why we should no longer care about the Bible is because there's no method for confirmation there's there's simply no way to confirm uh, what the Bible has to say and I wrote up a a nice write-up on this and uh, it was pretty good if I must say so myself and uh, clearly I must because I'm here um, but the thing that I did not like about my own write up is because the answers were too pat and there was no, um, there was no counter argument. And the reason there's no counter argument, I usually try to represent what the Christian would say when I'm doing a solo podcast. You know, I do, here's, here's what I think, here's what I think the Christians would say. Here's what I would have said when I was a Christian, that sort of thing is I really don't know what a Christian would have said about this argument. I mean, it's such a great and devastating argument. Christians just shrivel up and go away when they hear it. And so what I really wish I had was someone to oppose what I had to say, an accuser, an an adversary, a, a Satan.
1: Hmm. I think I can fulfill that role for you. Oh. Uh, Dale, I'm back. Uh, just, uh, joining in as a, a guest host to uh, tackle David on his latest heresy here. Oh, uh, hi, Satan.
0: Um, sorry, I, if I had known you were there, I would have... <laughs> it's Dale, everybody. So um, thanks for agreeing. I actually uh, uh, begged Dale to come on today to be my adversary, because I was quite sincere uh, as I was writing up uh, this argument, as I was concluding my argument. I, I thought to myself, yeah, you know what? what? I don't know how Christians would respond to this. If, if I had received this argument as a Christian, I don't know how I would have responded to it. In most things, I can at least work out in my own mind what I think I would have said. And I really couldn't. And so I appreciate uh, Dale coming on to provide uh, that Christian perspective. Uh, and uh, Dale has agreed to provide an opposing view on my uh, Jesus series, at least the financial, uh, the financial one. I would, I would love to have someone give me a counter position. Uh, to that, I have never received it in my life, and so Dale has volunteered to be the first person to to tackle that and uh, write a counter to my particular argument. So today, yeah, why we shouldn't care about the Bible? Uh, there's no method for confirmation. So in the scientific method, one of the things that the scientific method is good for, um, one of the reasons why it's so good for a lot of different things, not just. Trying to figure out the, the number of particles in the tip of a pin. It's because the method is designed to to weed out things like confirmation bias. Uh, it's it's designed to be. A confirmation to ideas. So you don't just have ideas that can't be proven. It, it provides a way of confirming that. And if someone is skeptical about the results, it provides a way for the skeptic to look at the results and um, and come to a conclusion that would be confirmatory. Uh, so it's, it, it's a method that builds confirmation into it. And the thing about theology is that it is a method Without any kind of confirmation method mechanism, the confirmation for theology is faith. More often than not, when you read the Bible, uh, the, the way to confirm what you know some apostle said is faith, uh, or you know the the way to confirm you know what's going to happen in the future, whether it's heaven or hell, is faith. You know, it's it's always it always at the end of the day comes back to faith. There's there's no way to really confirm anything the Bible says if you don't have faith. Uh, so with that, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna let Dale talk a little bit because he's read my uh, post and I will. Um, I really I really want to hear from him more than I want to hear from myself uh, on this today. So I, I recommend everyone read the blog skepticsandseekers.wordpress.com. Dale has been kind enough to provide a uh, counter to this. And I'm also going to try to squeeze part six into this as well. Thanks to Dale, he brought up a, um, a point that I wasn't planning on discussing until after reading his post. So reason, argument number one, um, we should ignore what the Bible says because there's no method of confirmation. But argument number two is actually more interesting. I kind of want to Get through argument number one really fast so I can get to number two, uh, which is why uh, which is you can't understand uh, ultimately the things of the Bible if you're not a spiritual person. Uh, so if you are an unregenerate sinner, like say myself, you have no hope of understanding it anyway. Uh, but we will get to that one. Dale, tell me where I'm wrong in argument one. Sure. So you're basically where
1: you're wrong is that um, we do Christians do have methods that they've developed to tackle the issue of confirmation bias. Uh, just in the same way, you know, the scientific method is a method that helps um, scientists avoid their own confirmation bias, or historians have the historical method. You know, the you know historiography is helpful in that sort of respect. Um, Christian scholars have developed. Uh, basic biblical hermeneutical principles um so this is the the science of how to interpret various biblical passages so you know these include things uh basic analysis of the genre of the literature are, are you reading uh ancient greco-roman biography versus a historical monograph or are you reading poetry or or prophecy you know the the genre uh can help uh guide how a christian interprets a various biblical uh, certain biblical text um there are other things such as uh, scripture uh helps interpret scripture um so christians obviously believe that the bible as a whole is inspired um i think this was the, the topic when i was last on uh so it's sort of related to part 2 of your series but um yeah the the holy there is one ultimate author the holy spirit and, or god um, that has written the divinely revealed aspects of the Bible, so I'm able to use uh, divine revelation in one uh, text to help elucidate, or perhaps expand or clarify um, a less clear scripture in another part of the uh, in another part of the Bible. This is a fundamental hermeneutical principle. It, it makes perfect sense. Um, we use this in everyday reasoning. Uh, you know, if I'm talking to to David and he reveals something to me two weeks ago um and then he reveals something to me later but uh in a more compact form or less in a more vague form i can use what he told me two weeks ago to help elucidate uh, or clarify what he was talking about later on uh, assuming what you told me two weeks ago is relevant to that comment.
0: So let, um, let, me, let me just jump in right there for a moment because you're, what you're describing is hermeneutics, which is important. I actually was going to do uh, one on hermeneutics. The hermeneutics of the Bible is impossible, but I, uh, I decided not to. Um, it would have been good, uh, but I, I just decided not to for the sake of time because it can it, be a, a fairly technical. Um, mm-hmm. okay. issue but, but that said I'm not, that's not why I'm jumping in the reason I'm jumping in is because what you're saying makes perfect sense if you were an individual trying to read the Bible and trying to figure out what the right answer to things are so I get that uh, what you're saying is there are various hermeneutical principles to do that but if you were dealing with another Christian mm-hmm. who has also done that and has a different view of what the Bible is saying those hermeneutical principles d- don't become uh, a method of confirmation at that point because you've both used them to end up with different uh, results and so the question still remains how do you uh, how do you break that tie now i know that when you responded to this in in the blog you said you don't think that there are any actual ties when it comes to the bible that there's a there's a single uh, it, yeah. There's a single thing that it means. It it doesn't mean one thing here and another thing there. And I and I get that and I appreciate that, but that doesn't really address the question. the The question is, how do you break the tie between two Christians who have done all of the things that you're recommending? Right.
1: So I so I and I was building up to that. Okay. Was, so
0: let I'll, I'll let you go ahead and uh, work up some more. We'll be able to build up to that.
1: No problem. Yeah, because the, the way I split it up, so I, I was dealing with the confirmation bias issue first before we get to breaking the tie. Um, but yeah, so, okay, so I don't need to go over it. David's going to do that in a future one. But everyone, there are basic, you know, about eight to 10 hermeneutical basic hermeneutical principles that one can use to help mitigate against confirmation bias or selection bias or that sort of thing. A a second um, thing that Christians are able to do is, look, the Bible itself says it's not just for private interpretation, and that means you're able to engage in a what's called a peer review process. I can ask fellow brothers and sisters. uh, You know, this is what I got out of this verse. what did you get out of it and and I can listen and consider if they have a slightly different take or, or a different understanding you know I can ask that and say well how did you get to there uh, you can also consult with qualified experts such as a pastor uh, or biblical scholars we have everyone has the internet so or most people have the internet most Christians have the internet in the west so you can access what biblical scholarship has to say and educate yourself on, okay, well, what, what's the historical uh, sociocultural considerations that are relevant to this text? And that might help shed, shed some light on what this text is talking about. Um, you know, is it an occasional letter? Or is, is this a universal command for all Christians in all time? Or is it responding to a specific issue? So, Um, So, yeah, this is my two-part thing. So, number one, you can use hermeneutical principles as an individual to come up with. You can also engage in peer review. Uh, And then finally, uh, to avoid confirmation bias, Christians uh, have the Holy Spirit. And this is what's going to lead into David's main point I'm thinking. So, the Holy Spirit, Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And this is said to help guide Christians into all truth, all scriptural truth. Um, so I know David responds to this as, well, that's magical thinking. Yeah, uh, of course, Christians believe in a supernatural being and a supernatural deity. So, um, that, uh, that isn't a problem, right? Assuming Christianity is true, this is another mechanism by which Christians can use the guidance of the Holy Spirit to tackle confirmation bias. Um, did you, so then... Do you want me to get into breaking the tie, or
0: just well? Yes, and so once again, let me let me help set that up uh, a little bit for the listener. Um, so let's say we, we're both Christians, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I believe in uh, speaking in tongues as a spiritual gift, and uh, let's let's further say that the tongue speaking that I believe in is, is glossolalia just to yep. just to yep. make it interesting uh glossolalia by the way is a fancy word for gibberish it's, oh. <laughs> so in in a, in a in a sense so when you hear when you hear people speaking in tongues it's glossolalia okay uh, another idea of speaking in tongues is that they're speaking unknown languages Mm-hmm. Foreign, language. Foreign languages that, that we know as humans, you know, maybe you're speaking French, but you've never studied French. That's, that's uh, one way tongues used to be looked at. And then a, another way of looking at tongues is, you know, back to the glossolalia, it's, it's not gibberish, though. It's gibberish to you, but it's a spirit language. And so you're, you're actually speaking in a language of, um, th- that God understands. So you you are you are speaking the a language, language of range, the right? angels, right? Thing. Right, um, and apparently the angels have a lot of languages because <laughs> no two tongue speakers <laughs> seem to speak the same way. <laughs> so,
1: um, here's the principle Paul gives, even with that, that there has to be an interpreter so it, to make sense of it and that sort of thing. But yeah, yeah, uh, right. Ahead.
0: So I, I just I just wanted to give a little bit of subtitle because I used a, a fancy word there that. That some people may not be familiar See,
1: with. You too? That's that's beautiful. Now people, have, glossolalia? What what the heck is that? People from Orange research. You know, <laughs> like, that, that's
0: good. <laughs> Dale is, is, is engaging in needling me in a in an ancient private discussion uh, argument that, that he is uh, that I'm I am not going to take today. <laughs> so, so glossolalia, I'm, look it up. <laughs> Also, we former preachers have to use technical jargon every now and then just to remind you that we really are kind of smart. <laughs> so, oh, so say, okay. Dale, on the other hand, has no excuse. <laughs> so <laughs> Thanks, David. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um all, all of this is inside stuff. Never never mind all that. Um so let's say that I I believe in tongues, mm-hmm. and you you do not. Okay. Um, and I have studied my Bible and you have studied yours. And let's just take as an example uh, one of one of your suggestions. Uh, you know, kind of a peer review. See what the community says. See what the mm-hmm. consensus is. Uh, so part of my question with all of your suggestions here is how one practically goes about pulling it off. If I go to my community, if I go to my preacher and ask him about um, you know, speaking in tongues, he's going to agree with me, um, of course, because you know we're probably at a charismatic church where we speak in tongues. Maybe I go to the broader community. Maybe I go to the synod of whatever my denomination is and ask them. Well, they agree with me too. I have Thousands of people, tens of th- tens of thousands of people, uh, agree with me. This seems to be um, a good peer review here. Um, and but you see, you do the same thing. And you go to your preacher who says, oh, no, tongues, that's, you know, whatever it used to be, It ceased. We don't, that's that's an improper understanding of tongues. And you go to your synod and your, you know, peer review works the same way for you as it does for me, except it gives us two different results. So practically speaking, I am not entirely sure how we use consensus to formulate what the Bible is actually trying to say. It doesn't serve as a tiebreaker sure so
1: that's why peer review doesn't just include talking to people that you agree with that or that already agree with you and that sort of thing you got to talk to the other side so uh sometimes i i've accused people you have to have what i call an intellectual right to your opinion um and in order to do that i'm quite lenient although i'm sure many of the skeptics are going to say this is ridiculous or something but I think in order to have an intellectual right you have to have seriously considered the other side and or sides uh, of, an, of a given argument so f- for example with me right now as a Christian I, I'm trying to come to grips with certain aspects of Protestantism versus Catholicism because one of my my former Sunday school teacher has recently converted has recently changed from being a he was known as the next James White for crying out loud so he was a reformed Calvinist hardcore Baptist um, and now he's gone to the Roman Catholic Church so that's provided an occasion for me to kind of okay well what what are the main essential differences and that sort of thing can, can you be a Catholic and still included in mere Christianity um, which before I would have said absolutely yes um, but. You know, someone like Tony Costa says no they, they can't, they believe in justification by works, so okay, there there's an issue, I need to look at both, si- both sides engage in that peer review and then grapple with what the biblical text actually says, so I'm in the midst of doing that, but in order to have an intellectual right, I can't just, oh, okay let me just listen to what Tony says and Tony says, oh they're going to hell so okay, cool, all Catholics are going to hell that's it, that's what I thought um, no, I, I'm engaging with with Lewis as well, like, well, Why did you become a Catholic? How, how do you respond to these? Can you, can you send me some articles um, supporting the Catholic position and reading over that? So, when you engage in the peer review, um, you have to do so in a way that would give you an intellectual right to your opinion, even if that turns out to be wrong in the end. Okay, but you're not it's... you're
0: not just using peer review though in that in that kind of instance that you're talking about, because if the if the Consensus is roughly 50-50. Peer view is kind of out the window uh, you, because half the people you talk to say one thing, half the people you talk to say the other thing. You've got to have a method of getting beyond that to come to an opinion. So what you're saying is, well, you know, do the work and choose the right side. That's, that's a little bit different than uh, asking the opinion of the community. Um, I don't think so. Like, I, I,
1: under my understanding, like, I I see everyone, every brother and sister in Christ is a part of my community.
0: I I understand that, but they're
1: 50-50. So that that no longer helps you. Yeah, because I'm not just looking at numbers. I'm saying, give me your reasons. And then I'm factoring that in as a consideration along with, you know, my other following hermeneutical principles and the
0: guidance of the Holy Spirit. Um, and then... okay, so but when you when we talk consensus, we are talking about numbers so if if we're talking about eighty eighty five percent of uh, the scientific community believes x and only five percent believe y and ten percent are undecided, we would say that the consensus is x right but I'm not looking for a
1: consensus per se like even in the scientific community, consensus counts for very little in terms of discovering truth. What, what I see as scientific, the fact that evolution or something, and naturalistic evolution, definitely the major, vast majority of consensus of bio, practicing biologists
0: um, would be that that's true versus intelligent design. Okay, but that helps us determine what we're going to teach in schools, for instance, right? I mean, you, you can argue whether it's absolutely true or not, but when we have to decide what we're going to teach, we have to use a mechanism for breaking the tie, as it were. And so consensus, which is kind of the method that you, you brought up here, is one of those methods, but consensus only works when there's a clear consensus. And, and what I'm saying is, in, in a lot of these Christian uh, debates even the one that you just brought up it's there is no clear consensus where i never said consensus i don't know
1: where you're getting that from i just said use a peer review so i'm talking about me as an individual how do i decide as a christian what is true and i can use peer review uh and even even a consensus which would be a factor um like i consider consensus an indicator if there's a strong consensus that homosexuality is a sin in the bible or something then that's an indicator that's that's not gonna oh okay then homosexuality must be a sin then but that's an indicator like hey all all these biblical scholars who are knowledgeable uh they know the greek they know the historical sociocultural historical context of those verses um they all come to this opinion that that's a strong indication that okay this might be the correct interpretation but i wouldn't just Okay, that solves it. That's it. No, okay. I
0: would. But I, yeah. s- I, still, I'm still not sure that you're, you're, grappling with the issue that I'm grappling with completely. So, we have different opinions on tongues. I have done the work that you suggest. You have done the work that you suggest. We have both done that and come to these different conclusions. It's not like we just pick these uh, opinions out of a hat. You know, we, gotcha. we spent a lifetime of research listening to other people and reading the material and praying or whatever whatever it is we have, have done. We have an intellectual right to our opinions and they happen to be different.
1: Okay. So and, we're on the breaking the tie.
0: Right. Section. And so we're we're trying to figure out how to because we both can't be right. So the one thing that we could agree on is that at least one of us is wrong, if not both of us. How do we determine that? The Bible doesn't help us determine that. Your hermeneutics don't help us determine that because we both went through that. Uh, talking to talking to elders of every church in, in existence doesn't help because we've all, we've done that. So how do what is the what is the theological slash religious method of breaking that deadlock? Right.
1: Okay. So here's what i would say on so david was correct when he character i don't believe there is ontologically speaking there are no ties um the bible has one clear uh meaning that a text is giving whether we know what that is or not we might be totally wrong in our interpretation of what that is um but the but god's revelation has one has a specific meaning that we are supposed to want to know uh, we're, we're supposed to want to know by default all of the divinely revealed truths. That's all else being equal, that's good for us. Um, so, before I answer, like, wh- what can a Christian do if if there is a tie? Let's say David's done all of the hermit. He's gone through hermeneutical principles. He's gone. He's engaged in peer review to have an intellectual right to his opinion, um, and he, you know, he's engaged with uh as, assuming he's a true christian so he actually has the holy spirit uh yet we come to a disagreement i think this can happen canon does happen i've witnessed it um so what would be there are some reasons for this and i think it's because human beings uh, are, are influenced by other factors they don't no human being just engages as a blank slate even as hard as we can try There could be cultural influences that impact and override the clear meaning of the text um, and or our interpretation of texts, or sometimes we engage in headcanon. I I like to do this um, all the time. The the word the Trinity is headcanon, right? It's, so we're allowed to engage and use other avenues of knowledge, philosophical knowledge, uh, scientific knowledge, and and use that knowledge to again elucidate or clarify what certain biblical texts mean so long as we understand that those other avenues aren't inspired um, we don't become dogmatic about it that that's a major cause of a lot of division and that sort of thing so the first step if there's an apparent tie let's call it that um is for both parties to first of all do some serious self-examination um you know what go through your reasons, lay them out. Uh, why do I believe this is my opinion and that sort of thing? How did I arrive at this conclusion, this interpretation? See if there's any external non-inspired influences which are, you know, over possibly causing you to have a false interpretation. The other is relying on the Holy Spirit's guidance and praying to God and, you know, please help me uh, I'm open if I'm wrong on this, you know teach me teach me the truth. I really want to know the truth and you, you do your best um, in that regard to be a, a real seeker even as a Christian um, as to what the biblical truths are. Um, yeah I think these are a couple ways that if an apparent tie does occur even after these methods through um, between two true Christians, then this is what you should do, and I think over time that truth will reveal
0: itself to to you. Okay, I will. Um, I will leave what remains of that to the <laughs> listeners and the commenters. <laughs> so so that wasn't a guess. So, I know. Yeah. I think it's, I think okay. it was a very clear answer. I think they're going to eat you alive. Um, I. But I don't, you know, because you the, the answer, answer. How
1: would you answer then? But how would two? Well, let me let me just make sure. That, let me
0: restate your answer first, so to make sure that I am picking up all of what you're putting down. It's a very magical solution that, if if your if your heart is right, and your search is honest, at some point, at the end of the day, God's going to make sure you've got the right answer. Is is that a, is that a fair restatement?
1: Um, well, yeah, like, obviously, okay. in terms of praying to God, I, I believe the Holy Spirit is a magical being, and right. God is a magical being in that sense. He's a supernatural
0: entity, right? I, I just want to make sure that I'm not strawmanning your argument. Um,
1: but, but your question is, how do Christians, so I'm, Christians are
0: assuming Christianity is true. Right, and, and, it, and it sounds like your other answer is, they may never come to a resolution,
1: uh, so hang on so on I this haven't... on
0: this earth uh you know there may we we may there may be some things that we always disagree on because of any number of factors that are within and not within our control and so we' we're, we're never gonna fully overcome those those hurdles
1: yeah so i do i do think on a practical level that will happen and and the reason for that i think in a lot of times Cases is because we don't do also do the self-examination or clearly lay out our reason. This is why I'm such a fan of coming up with premises. I, I've got to lay out everything to come to a conclusion, and it's it's laid bare for people to attack. You know, I don't I don't like this premise. This is wrong or that sort of thing, and people don't do that a lot. Uh, so they can't. They don't self-examine to realize, oh, this is where I'm going wrong, or this is where you're going. Wrong. Um, so bear in mind with the Holy Spirit it operates to degrees even among true Christians. Some Christians are more mature in the process of sanctification than others so um, this can be a cause of division as well so that's why it's it's. So we should
0: always default to the Christian who seems most mature? We shouldn't always default to
1: that but um, they're in a better position uh, in general in terms of coming to biblical truth they know they've read I'm assuming a mature Christian has read the entire Bible multiple times whereas me as I'm still going through the Bible for, this, for the second time in my life, I wouldn't even include the first time. This is the first time I'm sort of reading it truly devotionally and paying attention to it Yeah but you've read concerned. it
0: academically more than most Christians who have only read it devotionally all of their life. so you know maybe you're the more mature Christian
1: sure on cert- on the isolated issues So we we studied, can't even tell uh, who
0: the most mature christian is in any in any given circumstance so i don't see how that helps me break the tie
1: it's uh, so if you're as a true christian i would i wouldn't just say okay because they're a more mature christian they're automatically right but i would listen more and they would presumably so in that case, yeah, you could say I'm a I'm a mature Christian in those specific areas or something. Then may, maybe that means I'm a mature Christian, but I'm saying that in terms of having the Holy Spirit as a guidance and influence in terms of coming to truth, mature Christians have greater access. Uh,
0: okay, but we don't we don't know who mature Christians are. In fact christians don't know who other christians are they can't really identify each other and i don't know exactly where you are on that position but i can tell you from experience christians who think that they can identify other christians cannot they are they're full of bs uh with that they Mm -hmm. they think they know who real christians are until it turns out guess that person wasn't a real christian after all so Mm -hmm. if you're if you're trying to figure out who the more mature christian is to listen to this is this is why I say on a practical level, your advice. I don't see how you follow it because we can't determine who a real Christian is, let alone who a mature Christian is. We don't have the tools to make that determination.
1: Okay, um, so whether I a hundred percent, actually agree because I'm going through that myself. So I have to admit, yeah, that's that's true. But I wasn't suggesting that as a mechanism to deal with it. I was just suggesting this is this is why. Uh, two true Christians can sometimes disagree, even though they both have the Holy Spirit. Um, but as a mechanism for, well, how do, how do I solve that or something? How do I tell who's the mature versus immature one, and then I just go with the mature one? That, that wouldn't be a good mechanism to do. It would just be do the peer review. You do your consideration. You pray. You get guided by the Holy Spirit and be open to his guidance on the matter um, and engage in that self-examination. Lay lay out your reasons and really reflect um, honestly. Like, am I, you know, like with homosexuality being a sin, am am I just taking this interpretation that it's not like the one that Natalie Collins, I think, currently is. Mm-hmm. Um, Natalie Collins. Natalie Collins. Uh, that that she has, I, I think, is. By
0: by the way, should we should really we break honest. in and make an announcement? now that you brought sure, her up. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> You, you yeah. know the announcement that I'm uh, uh, talking about, right? <laughs>
1: uh, the one about uh, Sean Bell, No, no. <laughs> no. No, that's good.
0: So <laughs> Natalie Collins has uh, agreed to appear on uh, Skeptics and Seekers. It will be a few weeks. We'll let you know as it draws closer. We do have a date and time. And uh, we are going to talk about uh, a little bit more of this with her in fact uh specifically uh on how people do hear from uh god and you know confirm what what god's will is or not so uh look forward to that sorry about the interruption. carry on
1: yep and next week we got sean mcdowell as well we're going to be interviewing him on wednesday so that'll be a good time on the fates of the apostles um, so yeah, yeah, we've got some good stuff. Oh, and I don't know if I should announce this yet, but uh, Craig Keener has agreed to come on to discuss the historicity of Acts. Um So hopefully we'll have him, have him on in a, in a little bit. We're still working out
0: the details about that. I'm looking forward to that. I, I ran into some Craig Keener uh, videos as I was preparing for this uh, conversation in fact so
1: very good yeah yeah she he, he handles miracles as well so yeah perfect perfect so so yeah those are the mechanism at least two mechanisms that i can see um how you would approach an issue if two true christians um actually disagree on something and they've gone through the motions of, of trying their best to follow the hermeneutical principles and engaging in a peer review but they still just come out locking heads um i know for a fact that that happens that can happen um it happens all the time yeah but i don't i don't think that's a problem right like that there's an explanation as to why that
0: that happened i understand that and the explanation is you know we're sinful fallen people and so somewhere along the lines at least one of those Two people, if not both of them, are fallen, and they're—you know—this is this is simply the condition we're in. It is, it is it is the best that they can do under their sinful circumstances at the time, and maybe theoretically there's a way to do better, but they can't do better because they're sinners. And um, so that, that can kind of get in the way of blocking the truth, of quenching the spirit, or you know, how, however you might want to say so that. I, I understand the argument. Uh, yeah, I think that... Paul, Paul describes it as sort of
1: wrestling with the flesh. Like it, no one's ever in a perfect state. Even the apostles were never 100% sanctified. And, but but it's still, still... That,
0: just, that just validates my point that the Bible can't be confirmed. Um, in any practical way I mean, you, you can there, there's simply no practical way to to do it in the same way that it's possible to confirm knowledge from other things so um, that's what, it. What
1: do you mean? Like that, that doesn't that's not true of course even practically I, I think we can we can arrive at knowledge I, I said in the last show it, it's clear hundred percent not a single there's no chance of doubt that John Shelby Spung is out to lunch when he says that the Bible teaches there is no God. I respect him as a scholar he, he's more mature than I am probably well no he's not even a Christian I, I would If you deny the existence of God you're not a, you're not a Christian. I'm sorry Spung if you I'm just David, David's word that that's what you believe. Um, Well, yeah, he he doesn't
0: believe in the man in the sky type uh, idea of God anyway. Uh, More of a Marcus Borg kind of uh, guy.
1: Okay, so so then, yeah, um, he's not a Christian. And so I wouldn't even classify him as two true Christians. But nonetheless, on this question, I don't even think you need the help of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's just the other things. Consult biblical scholarship. We know... What the biblical texts have to say about the existence of God, we know the historical, sociocultural, historical context. I, I grant
0: we're... you all of that.
1: Yeah. So, you I mean, you don't. Goes... You don't. You don't have
0: to. You don't have to work too hard to prove that the Bible suggests that there's a God. I'll... <laughs> I will
1: grant you <laughs> your that. method. That the problem is your method. You'd be like, yeah, but look, at we got this smart guy who claims to be a Christian mm-hmm. and he disagrees. With you, so therefore, that's you would consider that a tie. But I'm saying
0: obviously it's
1: not. And it, it's so
0: a, in this case, I wouldn't. So I'm I'm going to give you all of that. I don't. Um, okay. So I, what? I what not. if? So good,
1: good, beautiful. Thank you. Um, so let's say to a differing degree. Then the same thing is is the case in other areas of apparent ties. They aren't actually ties, um, but they're just not as Easy
0: to establish. Like well, okay. So let me let me give an example uh, of that. Since I'm the one who brought up the concept of the tie, um, I think an apparent tie would be uh, young Earth versus old Earth. Uh, I th- I think that um, you know when you when you look at the when you look at the polls, uh, not just in America but uh, Christendom wide, if you will. It's pretty split. Uh, now, there are, I think these days there are more people who, uh, more Christians who accept old, old earth. Right. There's still a large enough percentage of them that would uh, accept young earth that I, I would still put it in the category of split decision time. And especially when you consider not just whether they think the earth is old or young, but what they, what, what they think the Bible actually says about it. Right. So that that becomes a uh, one of those things where it doesn't matter how much you read the Bible. Um, there's no way to break that tie with the Bible. You, you can break the tie in other ways, uh, or try to. But Christians who are Bible-based Christians have an honest disagreement about what the Bible actually says about this. And there's there's no way to use the Bible to clear it up
1: uh why well, i i think there is but uh, it's also not true we're not restricted solo scripture doesn't mean oh I, I all i've got is the Bible and that's it um obviously the holy spirit isn't the bible right that that's an outside avenue that helps guide our interpretation or using hermeneutical principles understanding okay well what's the genre this is a, a key question in interpreting genesis is it is it myth is it uh the cosmic temple view um is it it, literal history um is it highly stylized poetry or highly stylized poetic history um which seems is the view i I take so um yeah like this is um yeah and i would go straight allegory yeah okay that that's so that's a question that would help have bearing. It's outside the Bible. You're relying on avenues of knowledge outside the Bible to help inform the Bible, but and that's that's allowed. We're, we're not Muslims that believe in bidah. You know, no innovation. You, they can't even ask the question. Can God create a rock so big He can't lift it? No, that's bidah. That's that's innovation on religious matter. You're not even allowed to ask that question. Christians aren't limited like that. I, I'm allowed to consider. the pope says i'm allowed to consider what the early church fathers had to say i'm allowed to consider what modern day philosophers have to say as long as i put them in proper perspective these aren't inspired only the bible is the inspired word of god divine revelation so that is that is the final authority uh in coming to my opinions but i'm allowed to use outside opinions to help inform me as to what the bible might be saying or to going above and beyond and that sort of thing so headcanon isn't a no-no as long as you have it in proper perspective and don't become too dogmatic Um, my understanding of middle knowledge i think is correct and biblical my understanding of the trinity you know that term one being three persons this is outside philosophical headcanon that's used to interpret the bible i think they've got it right Okay, but I'm know.
0: I'm not questioning whether you might actually have all of your whatever your doctrines are. Mm-hmm. I, I can grant that they're all right. I mean, for the sake of this, I don't know. I don't care. Uh, no, the only the no, only like thing that the it's... only thing that I am asking is for the person who disagrees with you, and I'm looking at the two of you, and I'm trying to decide who I should listen to. I I, I can pick up the Bible and read it, but I can't resolve it that way because. You know, so it, it, it seems to it seems yeah. to suggest you, you you're both using the Bible and you're both seem to be using it correctly, and so in this case, you're both right or you're both wrong. I mean, when I when I listen to James White mm-hmm. um, talk to, uh, I can't remember the last person I unbelievably <sighs> talked to, but um, there's a, a Catholic that he uh, gets paired with from time to time. Tim Staples, uh, maybe? No, no. Uh, Uh, I can't, I can't remember, but, um, yeah, I mean, those two, they go at it, uh, and they really, they really use the Bible as a sword and they, yeah. they hack away at each other with the, with the Bible. I love those debates, by the way. Same here. Yeah. Same here. Um, the best and... <laughs> debates on
1: Calvinism, for, you know, William and Craig's great, but if you want, um, a good debate on Calvinism versus Armenianism and or Molinism, uh. The debates. There's multiple debates between James White and Michael L. Brown. The best I've ever seen. Michael L. Brown doesn't even know the terminology. He's like, I, I have no idea what what those terms are. I just go by what the Bible is. So if you want a straightforward Bible debate, check out those debates. They're, they're the best I've ever seen on purely scriptural grounds.
0: So yeah. yeah, I love I love it. I love to see two guys take the Bible and you know, rip each other up with it. <laughs> So
1: well, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I. mean, I don't like it for the sake of division. But
0: I. I'm, yeah, but I, I do mean, like it for the sake of division. You understand? We are we are different I, people, and I'm evil, and you're not. Yeah, uh, I so,
1: can agree on that.
0: But look, it doesn't matter why we like it. I think I think actually we do like it for similar reasons. It's very entertaining and also informative. Quite frankly. When you, yeah. when you see two people who know the Bible extremely well, use it uh, for completely opposite uh, conclusions. And when you're, when you're watching a debate like that, all you can do as a person who doesn't know the Bible as well, and I'll, I'll just be honest, as well as I think I know the Bible, I don't know it nearly as well as James White. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't, I don't know too many people who would want to get in a Bible fight with James White. I I would not. Um that said, uh all you can do is nod and say, Yep, you're both right. Cause whenever one person is talking in, in uh rightly dividing scripture, you nod and say, Yep, that makes sense. That's that is correct. And then the other person starts talking and then you nod and say, Yep, no, that's right, that's it. That's that's kind of how these things go. And from my perspective, there's no way to determine who won by me opening my Bible and reading it because I've opened my Bible and read it <laughs> and, I've, and I follow along with them. I, you know, I'm an active participant when, uh, when I watch debates like that. I have no idea who's right. I,
1: well, I, I disagree with that. Like with the example I gave that, that's exactly what I did. I listened to their reasons, um,
0: you know, I, I, that is sort of like the peer review or yeah, or yeah But you might be just, smarter just than me. Say what? You might be smarter than me. You might, you may have looked at your Bible, and you may have a better grasp of what it's saying. I have no doubt. But what I'm telling you is that when I listen to two highly intelligent people, who are both smarter than me, use the Bible, I I can't determine where they're wrong. They're they're both right, as far as I'm concerned. And I cannot, I do not have the facility to open up the Bible and use it to prove one of them right and one of them wrong. I simply can't use it as a method of confirming either side. Okay, well, I think, uh, so you've, in this example, you've already,
1: you're a true Christian and you've already done, looked at, okay, let, let's lay out their reasons and and let's check out what those scriptures say and read them in context and follow hermeneutical principles for each of yes this was
0: this was true when I was preaching
1: okay so and did you so then you need to so you have no interpretation you're just agnostic as a true Christian um, and you've I'm assuming you're praying and you're remaining open I just want to know the truth Mm -hmm.
0: agnostic is probably not even the right word I agree with both positions uh, so I'm 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 worse than agnostic. I'm living in tension because they both seem to be things that the Bible is espousing.
1: So so that would be what I call agnostic. You would be in a fift, state of fifty-fifty, assuming they're equally weighty on each side, and they're contradictory.
0: Yeah, except so it's more like a hundred. It's more like a hundred hundred. Right. It's so it's. Not... I am absolutely sure that this uh, oh. doctrine is right, and then I'm absolutely sure that this other doctrine is also right. <laughs>
1: So that's impossible. Uh, unless Obviously, psych- unless you mean psychological certainty, because that- psychological certainty,
0: can't... sure. But I think that I, th- I think that the Bible does, in fact, you see, you believe the, the difference that we're having now is subtle. You believe that the Bible actually only says and teaches one thing about a, a, a subject, and You're I right. do not. Um, I see the Bible teaching multiple things about the same thing. It, so on the okay. question of you know, we mentioned James White and Calvinism, so all that—that is a, a a very good uh, example of this. I think the Bible does teach uh, Calvinism, and I also think it teaches against Calvinism. I think that both are true, and it just depends on where you're reading and who you're reading and when.
1: Right, but you would agree. So, all of your questions are how do, how do true Christians? Obviously, the option that Christianity is false, uh, or that you know there's these major contradictions isn't uh is an improbable if not an impossible answer that christians would give obviously as a skeptic you can or you know someone who doesn't know whether christianity is true or not you can ask that question but for two true christians they're not going to go oh yeah they're just the holy spirit didn't inspire the bible that they wouldn't that wouldn't be a likely option for no, them. No. This so is this, this is
0: this is why I, you know, mention debates between James White and uh Catholics in particular. They're they 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 both are certain that the spirit has guided them in their particular uh opinion. And they're they're both very good about proving their positions. So Okay. Okay, so here
1: I, I'm going to assume all of this is the case. So this is where I'm going to, the skeptics are going to hate me, but I've been avoiding, I've been doing a good job of avoiding coming here. But let let's just say that you've done all of the steps that I've laid out and you're a true Christian and you've gone through the hermeneutical principles, you've prayed openly, sincerely to the Holy Spirit, you've been guided, but you're still coming to this. Uh, you've done a self-examination uh, as to are there any external non-inspired influences that are causing me to to, to do eisegesis rather than exegesis and, and all of that. And you still can't come to an answer. You're in this state of what I call agnosticism on this issue. You, you can see maybe Michael L. Brown's right. Maybe John, James White is right. Um, you just don't know. Even in that worst case scenario, that's fine because not all Christians don't have to know every single thing in the Bible uh, that's not necessary so this is coming into territory that I've said before I, I could be confused on a certain secondary issue um, I think that the Bible is sufficient for salvation that's what we have to be clear on necessarily you, you cannot be confused about that um, as to secondary tertiary issues uh, yeah, I could perhaps go my entire life without knowing a solid answer on it on a single issue or that sort of thing, and that's fine. I'll ask God when I die. He can tell me, okay, this is the answer. Like, oh, okay, great. Um, so,
0: so let's use this to transition uh, to argument two. By the way, the, the audience has spoken. They like long form. They they just they they all seem to like podcasts that go on interminably um
1: as long as it's going somewhere i think like as long it's, as it's they want to see people
0: develop their ideas and i don't and- even know if they care i, ju- I, think, I think they, oh, they, they, they well, have I long commutes and they just want it to go on cuz they don't want to have to change the channel in the middle of their commute this is what i think is going on i don't i okay. I, I shouldn't I shouldn't talk down to the audience in this way. Uh, they're not the one who has to sit in the chair, uh, you know, having to pee for an hour. So they could just go, there, there's a price to be paid for long-form podcasting people. Uh, you just haven't, you haven't really thought it through. But uh, that's okay. They don't care about us. They just want us monkeys to dance for them. So are you ready for hour number two? Uh, yeah, let's go uh, Dance, monkey, dance. Um, dance so, with a purpose. I'm, <laughs> I'm fine with that. <laughs> All right. So, um, so we're, we're going to drag some of this conversation into uh, this one, because I, I, this is really more fascinating to me. And I think we had to lay some of that groundwork to get to this. So we've been talking about how Christians might come to uh, agreement or confirmation of their position with the Bible. Uh, naturally, Dale thinks that there's some way to do that. I, even after this conversation, I don't think that there is. But that's set that aside for a moment, because that does not address the question that, I, that I've intentionally put off until now, which is how a non-Christian can use the Bible uh, to understand any you know, anything any truths about the world how they can you know, look at the Bible and see if they can discern spiritual truths or, or whatnot um, so yeah, up to now we've been talking about Christians but what about the non-Christian so what about the evangelist that comes to your door talks to you for a few minutes and says, what I want you to do is read the book of John and uh, then we'll come back and talk. Is that is that really a good uh, mechanism uh, for the non-Christian? Well, I think not. Uh, I think that there is. I think the non-Christian can get even less out of the Bible than the Christian. In fact, I have a I have an ally on this, and I am going to read him. His name is Dale uh and this is not that guy i don't like this is, <laughs> this is this is what he wrote in a long run on sentence that's going to take me 15 minutes to read um that this stuck. is okay <laughs> so he's talking about nihilism so, so. <laughs> but um this is this is part of his uh what he what he wrote in the blog post and it, it sh- struck me as being relevant so he says well I'm going to answer this in two ways. In the first place, the answer depends on just who exactly the skeptic thinks needs to be persuaded. Uh, in the first place, he remains, I'm sorry, if he means to ask how an outside non Christian observer can ever hope to come to knowledge of the truth of all the matters that Christians disagree over, the answer is that. They simply can't. Dash. The Bible being used in that way is <laughs> not <really> for you. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just people need to understand. <laughs> anyway, they can't. The Bible being used in that way is not for you to use in that regards. Divine revelation is largely meant to be adjudicated upon by believing Christians Being devoid of the Holy Spirit and left in your own unrepentant and corrupt sinful state, you have no hope of understanding the various biblical truths. And both the Old Testament and New Testament make this abundantly clear. Dash. For the non-believer, the only matter that need concern you is whether or not the essential gospel message is true or not. Though, this is parenthetical, one could obviously use this, quote, confusion factor (laughs) as a negative argument against the truth of Christianity, as the skeptic attempted to do in part two of this series. I'm needling uh, Dale a little bit because he writes very much like one of his mentors The Apostle Paul, who is with me as well. (laughs) I I consider that good company, but (laughs) (laughs) it's bad. It's really hard to read. Um, So a couple of times I I wanted to emphasize um, Bill's argument is that, you know, as far as non-believers trying to understand this stuff, don't bother. You can't. Tin Burdengate, I think is his name, Cy... is uh, known for saying in debates, I refuse to argue with you when he's arguing with an atheist. I refuse to argue with you about um, theological matters. I'm not going to argue with you about the Bible. He says this, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't argue with non-Christians about the Bible. Mm -hmm. I get that. First of all, he get his hand it to him uh, every time. But second of all, he just thinks that it's a waste of time. Uh, because mm-hmm. you're not, you are not spiritual and your mind is not uh, prepared in such a way where it can, could understand these things. And so it'd be a waste of time. It'd be, as Jesus said, like casting pearls before swines. Or another time, give not that which is holy to the dogs. Um, could I maybe clarify?
1: So, um, yeah, so I, I guess I. I might be sort of overstating it a bit. like I, so I disagree with Psy ten. I, I agree with him to some degree that um, for for the vast majority of skeptics or unrepentant sinners that um, you know, they're so hard of heart that the Holy Spirit won't get them to respond. But I don't think it's, you know, by the same token, the Bible tells us to always give an answer uh, to anyone that asks us. Um, and so this is why, for example, slavery, I, I I think that the, I think everyone, every skeptic disagreed with my take on that, but it was still worth it. At least that spoke up. Maybe there's one skeptic who's, who's more receptive to the Holy Spirit. They're a real seeker. And maybe my answers on slavery might've struck a chord and said, huh, maybe there's something to that. Whereas some skeptics really are, sorry to be offensive, but this is a biblical term. You, you really are swine. You're, you're not a real seeker. You're, you're, not, uh, <laughs> you're not receptive.
0: I'm sorry. You're skeptics, <laughs> you're swine. You well, are swine. Thank you for joining us for Hour 2. <laughs> you goddamn swine. I, i'm sorry
1: so well, i'm not, not giving it as an insult but it, uh,
0: it's, no I mean, no i mean i admit that in a good way you i'm sorry
1: <laughs> so, yeah I, I don't i guess it just kind of this i'm uh, quoting the bible so i i'm not ashamed of no. this is what what jesus this is a biblical text right you don't want to cast pearls before swine they'll less they'll just trample them and sometimes it <clears throat> It could have... Cy 10 views my defending slavery. Don't don't even bother answering. These people can't understand it. And and that was my experience. Most, most skeptics just couldn't even understand it. They just had an immediate reaction. That's just wrong, blah, blah, blah. But there were some skeptics, even though they disagreed, I think they, they could at least kind of go, huh, well, I, I can understand where he's coming from. And, you know, maybe that planted a seed. So it's worth it to give a defense to engage in apologetics and, and give a, you know, to give your pearls uh, kind of thing. That That's the way I see it. Even if most skeptics are biblical swine and just trample it and don't, don't care. They're not, they're not as open to the you guidance. You just
0: double down on this stuff. I, this is why I love you. I miss you so much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it's in the Bible. I'm Yeah. Really <laughs> <laughs> divine teaching, but yeah, I, I say it like it is.
0: For so. okay. <laughs> <laughs> better or worse. <laughs> oh boy! So speaking of divine teaching and saying it like it is, let's just see. I want to. I want to pick up a reading from Paul, First Corinthians chapter two, mm-hmm. verse six through sixteen. It's um, yeah, eleven verses, uh, but it's important. And uh, it, I think, echoes and expands on what, um, what Dale said in his um, original uh, blog post here. So let me just read that. First um, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 through 16, for anyone following along. <clears throat> now we do speak wisdom uh, among the mature but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are perishing. Excuse me. Instead, we speak the wisdom of God hidden in a mystery wrapped in a burrito. Wait a minute. The burrito part is there. Um, Hidden in a mystery.
1: See, that's the problem with the NLT, man. (laughs) (laughs) Love
0: that translation. (laughs) That God determined before the ages for our glory... None of the rulers of this age understand it. If they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things that no eye has seen or ears, heard or mind imagined are the things God has prepared for those who love him. God has revealed these to us by the Spirit. This is where it gets good. For the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the things of a man except, except the man's spirit within him? So too, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit of uh, the spirit who is from God so that we may know the things that are freely given to us by God, and we speak about these things not with the words taught us by human wisdom, but with uh, those taught by the Spirit, explaining Spirit, also good here, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. The unbeliever does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And my favorite, bit, and he cannot understand them. Let me say that again. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Let me read that again. I want to pause there. There's there's a little bit more to this passage, but you have to read all of that to pay off here. The believer does not receive the things of the spirit for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned the one who is spiritually the one who is spiritually discerns all things yet he himself is understood by no one this is another quote for who has uh known the mind of the lord uh, so as to advise him but we have the mind of christ um so, a, a little bit awkward. Paul is, Paul is a little bit of an awkward writer. But the thing that I don't want you to lose here is that he believes that there are some things that are spiritual truths mm-hmm. and they can only be discerned spiritually by people who are infused with the Spirit of God. Yeah. Anyone outside of that has no hope of discerning these spiritual truths and i think that that echoes uh what you said in your post yeah. there exactly yeah exactly and this this helps out
1: to sort of clarify so spiritual truths a very interesting so david this doesn't mean all scriptural truths david obviously himself recognizes along with me the scriptural truth that the bible teaches there is a god whereas spung doesn't um so it's the spiritual truths, which is an interesting aspect, um, and also the other thing I wanted to clarify is that the Holy Spirit has a role for every human being. I, I believe Calvinists would disagree with that, but this I believe the Bible teaches that the the Holy Spirit. Actually, no, Calvinists wouldn't disagree with this. So sorry, um, the Holy Spirit has a role, a three pronged role, even for non-believers um it convicts uh them that they're you know of morality that they're they're sinners in the sense that they not that they're sinners that technical terms i know david takes issue with that but that they do things that are wrong even in their own eyes uh convicts them that they're supposed to convict them that there is that god exists and that there will be a judgment and that sort of thing so uh and also yeah, well, he's really bad at that
0: job but go ahead
1: well, hang on. You're going to hear my qualification. And right. he convicts them that, uh, darn you, I forgot. Um, oh, derail him again! The, convicts <laughs> them of the truths of the gospel. So this is, you know, some. This is why your evangelist, evangel missionary, uh, says, you know, read the Gospel of John and see if it speaks to you, or see if the Holy Spirit uh, induces a, a properly basic belief. It, yeah, that this is true. Tell me more, or Uh, you know I had these questions on this sort of thing so there's the Holy Spirit does have a role even for non-believers but as David says yeah but he he sucks at it with me I mean he didn't do that to me and I've gotten a lot of feedback for this so this is why I I go back again sorry to bring it up but you've got to be a real seeker um, in order to allow the Holy Spirit to facilitate his role within you and I think that when you're not a real seeker, uh, you're just, depending on the degree, you're devoid of the Holy Spirit's guidance. uh, Okay, but but which
0: comes first, the chicken or the egg? No, this is not about chickens. I'm, I'm just getting hungry. Which comes first, the seeker or the spirit? The seeker. Ah, so the spirit will do nothing until you do something. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, in terms of recognizing. So the truth.
0: you've got to do something and make yourself worthy before the spirit comes along. But we are all unregenerate sinners. So how does anyone ever take that first step if the if the spirit isn't doing anything until you do? Okay, so so let me clarify. So
1: I'm not a synergist. I'm a monergist in terms of how salvation works. So. Uh, I believe, yes, we're all born with a sinful, corrupt nature. Uh, and as soon as we're born, the Holy Spirit, to varying degrees depending on the person, has the Holy Spirit with them.
0: Um, now, over time, through your choices... Wait, 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 wait go back. I guess this is new to me. We have the Holy Spirit at birth.
1: Yeah, it, it, acting out its role... Even upon conception, acting upon its role for unbelievers to whatever degree you're able to cognitively understand. Obviously, a baby doesn't have the it hasn't reached an age of accountability. It doesn't. It's not accountable to know. But it somehow has the spirit Mm -hmm. in her. Yeah, to a limited degree, whatever it's
0: able to do for a sinful baby. Where do you Where do you get this idea from? So this is novel to me. So I'm, I'm glad that we. Went here. I am. I am not familiar with this teaching.
1: Okay. So, so it is sort of headcanon. It, there's no explicit verse, but where I get this from is I. I think the world fundamentally changed after the atonement and Jesus' resurrection. Before that, in the Old Testament period, the Holy Spirit had a very restrained role. It would. It would come, but it was always temporary. It would come and then leave. There, there was no permanent dwelling of the holy spirit like now jesus once jesus left you know without if jesus didn't leave then the holy spirit couldn't come and that sort of thing so we're now in the messianic era and the holy spirit has in charge he's here permanently so he has a permanent role until judgment day and that sort of thing um so something has fundamentally changed so at that point i think the holy spirit now is acting out its role for every single human being um Depending on their status, right? There's obviously uh, with it operates differently with true Christians than it does with unbelievers and that sort of thing. And it operates differently even between true Christians depending on how mature they are, or how open they are to to the spiritual truths, or are they grieving um, the Holy Spirit by by still you know engaging in sins that that diminishes. It diminishes the Holy Spirit's influence, I guess, or our, or, or, what's the word I'm looking, our
0: um, well, willingness to, okay, to... Okay, but a baby doesn't baby. have any of that. Um, and if you're saying that the Spirit comes mm-hmm. in us at the beginning of our lives, but you also said to varying degrees, I don't understand that part unless the Spirit is predetermining Uh, what kind of people we will ultimately end up being at that point. Because why wouldn't we all get the maximum dose of spirit from birth if we're getting the spirit from birth? So it could
1: be upon conception. So it it could be um, that everyone does get a limited equal dose. It can't be the full dose because you have to be a believing Christian in order to even have it be possible to okay have but different. we but we let's should all get... get
0: the dose that brings us to the step of becoming a believing Christian I mean it seems like a not necessarily it seems, seems like a strange way to go about doing it, but I mean if here's the thing That's if there's no funny. spirit, if there's no spirit, all right maybe maybe we can agree here I don't know mm-hmm. there's no no spirit so let's take that out for the moment because that is a new doctrine to me that I've to try to wrap my head around. And we're all just unregenerate sinners, and the Spirit does not make the first move, but we do. Then my contention is, no one should ever be a Christian because there's there's no incentive for an unregenerate person to become regenerate. There's there's simply no way to make that leap. Everyone has the Holy Spirit to some
1: degree. There's no one complete, no one that's not reached the point of no return.
0: That is completely devoid of the Holy Spirit. There, therefore, so let me, let me finish paying this off. If the Holy Spirit does make the first move, because now with this argument, you're arguing that it, it's actually the Spirit that makes the first move. If the Spirit makes the first move, then everyone should be a believer. No.
1: Because what move does it make? I'm not saying it get moves you and forces you to become a Christian. Well, it's not a matter of it
0: force. force. It's, it's a matter of the Spirit gave you enough information for you to believe, but He didn't give me enough information for me to believe. That seems unequal. And so, because it can't, until, unless you're a real seeker. So that's where it but I'm But I'm, it. at that stage, I'm not a real seeker. I'm not any kind of seeker. I'm an unregenerate sinner.
1: Right. But You, you, you have... can't
0: expect me to make the first move as an unregenerate sinner.
1: Okay, so so that's why I revised that and said, okay, so in that sense, the Holy Spirit makes
0: the first move. Then his move has to be sufficient. Because you can't say he made a move, but, you know, it wasn't much of a move, and he made more of a move for that person. And then it just kind of becomes, really, I want to see, I want the record to be open and show me how the Spirit uh, made these moves in different people and why these people... uh, move from their unregenerate state, and these other people didn't. And the spirit gave these people a higher dose, and these people didn't. It all sounds like a bad experiment.
1: No, so so this is why I get falsely accused of being a synergist. But let's let's forget about that. Uh, we well we actually, would you
0: would this. you take a minute to interrupt yourself and just explain what you mean by synergism versus monogism? So
1: so synergism, I guess, in a nutshell, is is the way we're saved, we earn salvation in effect, it's, it's both God and human beings have to do something to to merit salvation, whereas monergism, no, it's God. I do nothing. I, I can't boast. It, it's no work that I did. It's it's no... Nothing I did merited being saved. God deserves all the, the credit for that. Um, and because there are attached conditions, you know, the human element, the, so the Spirit allows us to, gives us the opportunity to be real seekers. We can either choose to take that up or not. Um, so the real seeker bit, that's the human element. But those are conditions upon which we, you know, the Holy Spirit can allow us to see the full gos- the gospel truth.
0: Let's okay, but you're, you you said you're a monergist, not a synergist. Yes. So, it sounds like you're really trying to straddle the line a, a little bit and you're defining yes. monergism in a way that's a little bit non-standard because what you're what you're saying is, "Oh no, it has nothing to do with you, but on the mm-hmm. other hand, oh yeah, it has everything to do with you because if you don't do, you know, take the proper real seeker posture, mm-hmm. then you won't be saved." Well, that's synergism then.
1: Yes and no. So, yes, I understand. I I get accused of this. You know, my pastor just says, all Armenians are synergists. No, they're not. Um, And this was actually a good convo we had that got deleted because of, you know, the Gary Habermas drama and everything. But uh, so the way I see it, look, the conditions aren't earning salvation. So if we use the analogy of, I I win, my dad is going to buy me a car for my 16th birthday or something like that um nothing but it's on the condition that i get my driver's license so yeah i i'm the one that earned my driver's license but nothing getting my driver's license isn't sufficient to earn or to merit having a car yes it is no because yes it is because that's the contract well then i have a Okay, but that, I mean, but, that's,
0: but that is the contract that your dad made. Now, you can say, well, but your dad didn't have to make that contract. Well, that's true. But your dad did make that contract.
1: Then no, it, the contract, there's no, that's not the contract. There's two separate contracts then, if you want to say that, because the contract, it's a, the ransom theory of the atonement. Jesus is atoning for the sins, right? He's, his work on the cross is what merits atonement, the punishment. Um, is what justifies us. Jesus and God did all of that. It's just being attributed to me on condition. So, you know, my dad, in the same okay, way, my dad. Right. The
0: moment it, you say power, on condition, the moment you say on condition, you are saying the human uh, does something to get this thing. And, and you could say, well, yeah. but that doesn't earn it. But that's yeah. just semantics at that point
1: but it's important semantics that i see as making a difference so so yes there is that need for the human element but it doesn't what the bible is concerned about in differentiating faith from works and that sort of thing and this is why cal well faith is a work right that's why calvinists say god has to give you the gift of faith and that's not what the verse says but I, I see it look it's a gift it's a free it's a conditional gift um my dad he's in the contract, he pays for the car. That's what earns the car. He gives up money, the, the gift of car comes, AKA salvation.
0: Um, now from your perspective, your perspective, you don't care about the money or how much it costs or what it, that's not, that's not your part of the contract. Your part of the contract is you get your driver's license, you get a car, period. Now, here's, here's the thing that your dad can't do if he's gonna be on a spec contract. Maybe you get your driver's license, but it turns out you're also a serial killer. Um, and he says, oh, well, you know, you're a serial killer. I'm not going to give you this car. No, you you fulfilled your agreement. You got your driver's license, and you serial killed your instructor. You still get a car because you earned it. You did the thing that fulfilled your side of the contract. Now, you may never get to drive a car because you're going to go to jail for the rest of your life, but the, so the contract is. is you do the thing, you get the car.
1: Right. So it's it. you have to meet the conditions. That's fine. But it's two separate contracts, and that's what the Bible, that's what Paul is adamant about differentiating, faith versus works. Um, and, you know, you have faith, you meet that condition, faith and repent and, and that sort of thing, you get the salvation, you get the, the works of Jesus going through the punishment, a.k.a. your dad forking over the loot for that car or for that salvation. Then it gets attributed to you on those conditions. It's a conditional gift. And that, you if you want to label that, well, that's a contract. I don't care. I don't well, care. It, that's fine.
0: It, I, that's don't, I think it is more than a label, though. And uh, you said, well, it's important semantics. So let's, let's see where it's important semantics on the other side of it. So if my contract with you is uh, I will do a thing for you as long as you make the first move, well, the thing is you still have to make the first move. You're, uh, and you can say, you know, I can say, well, but I offered you this contract and that was really the first move. Well, no, the first move is you have to do a thing to earn this thing. But, and, but the, first,
1: the first move is, so to make it comparable, though, the, the person giving you that contract, a.k.a. the Holy Spirit, gives you the ability to accept or reject, to do or not do that thing. Whereas the Bible is clear... If the Holy Spirit hadn't made that first move, you could not. All of us would always okay. reject So
0: if the only thing you're saying the Holy Spirit did was he was part of the deal that, uh, you know, he helped cook up the arrangement where if you become an honest seeker, then, you know, I'll help you. I don't think that's, first of all, that, that doesn't seem true to what the Bible is saying at all. Um, but I don't, I don't think that, I don't find that a value at all. Uh, if, if what you're saying is to an unregenerate person, you've got to find a way to regenerate yourself enough to want to hear the truth, that's, that's an impossible scenario. There has to be something more than that because we're talking about unregenerate sinners. There's no reason that an unregenerate sinner would even take the deal of, I will give you eternal life if you fix yourself they're unregenerate. It's not even a good-sounding deal. It doesn't make any sense uh, to such a person. You know, our hearts are and minds are on evil all the time. Why would we ever want to change that? So
1: I don't. I don't think that you're obviously true, right? Like you're trying to. The Holy Spirit has put you in a position where you you can right now choose to be a real seeker or not. Like you have the but I don't. To, I don't do think it
0: work. does. It, no, I see. This is where this is where we fundamentally disagree. I don't think a person can choose to quote unquote be a real seeker, choose to uh, love God, learn about God, accept God, if they are an unregenerate sinner. <laughs> that is. This is the leap this is, the leap. this is the leap that I am trying an to an get you to understand of the Holy Spirit, right? Well, they need, they need something other than, well, you know, there's there's the deal, you can take it or not. That's not enough. That's yeah, not enough for he anyone. He other, other
1: roles. He he testifies to you about the existence of God. He testifies about the existence of morals as well, um, and that sort of thing. He, he has other roles, so long as you are receptive to that
0: um, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit okay but I'm not rece- I'm not receptive to that Let, let's receptor. say for hy- hypothetically speaking I'm not receptive to that nor should that shock you since I am an unregenerate sinner it doesn't shock me but it, I blame you for that because why <laughs> you, you've rejected
1: the uh, initial was I not born gift, a sinner to whatever degree was I not
0: born an unregenerate sinner
1: yeah, but you had the Holy Spirit helping you in a limited fashion. Then, I need, then I, need,
0: I need more information on how the Spirit is helping uh, the infant in some fashion to get them from where they are, an unregenerate sinner, to someone who wants to accept uh, the message of Jesus. And if you can do that for one person, you should be able to do it for everyone. He, he does do it. Wait, so he does do it? He does do it for everybody equal.
1: He plays the role for every single human being at that, at, at that point. I believe from conception, if you want to say from the age of accountability, I, I don't care. No, but let's I, go with I think conception. It's, I, I, think it's,
0: I think it's funnier when you say that.
1: Okay, <laughs> so. uh, that's cool. Uh, because I, yes, yeah, so I believe that. I believe that we, our souls exist upon conception. So, fine. The Holy Spirit, through our choices, our sinful choices, we can grieve or quench the Holy Spirit that also applies well, to un- can
0: wait a minute from, from from conception you have no choice but to make sinful choices because you're a sinner from the beginning so then how is it possible that little kids can do the right thing on occasion
1: why don't they always lie why don't they always uh, do what's wrong I can tell you from personal my personal experience as a child um, I made choices to do what was good I remember putting a, a I bought a chocolate bar with my allowance. I had got, you know, 25 cents a week. That was my allowance. My, <laughs> I didn't get a heck of a lot. For, you know, I saved up and managed to get a dollar. I went to 7-Eleven and bought a chocolate bar. And um, apparently there was a homeless guy that was around the neighborhood, and he had, he had left. He was just there that one day. But I found out about that, and I said, you know what? Rather than eating this, I'm going to leave this in a shopping cart because I believe that was his home. I was a stupid kid. I, I, I thought that was his home, so I left it in the cart for him. I, I didn't do that to, to get to get it lured. I guess Tara's right, I was a stupid
0: kid. Well, all kids um, are stupid, so.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I did that out of the goodness of my heart. How is that possible? I'm an unregenerate sinner as a kid. I should always do what's wrong. I should have gobbled that thing and said, this is mine, right? But no. No. So I mean, it's not true um, that we just can't, from birth, we just can't stop sinning. Obviously. So I, I
0: can I can give you a, a counter for why you might do that, a natural explanation. But I, I'm more interested in why you think uh, some kids don't do it. Then you know. So if you're saying it's the yes. spirit that's working within them that causes them to want to do good, what's what causes other kids to want to lie and kick you in the shins and pull Freeway. your hair? it's free it's yeah, like but is it is it evil
1: to, is it you have this
0: this war, is it I evil think. sorry if it's the Spirit of God causing you to leave candy bars just for strangers is it evil that allows you uh, that it uh, causes other kids to say steal the candy bar
1: it's it's not caused we have I believe in libertarian free will right so I have the choice to respond. The Holy Spirit allows me, puts me in a position.
0: Okay. So you uh, think that some kids are just choice. ignoring the Holy Spirit?
1: Yes, they're grieving. The Holy they're Spirit is voices.
0: telling them, "Don't steal that. That's wrong." The little 4-year-old says, oh, candy bar. Swipe." <laughs> it, yeah, that, and that's that's thing. that wait a minute, that's that 4-year-old. Um Grieving the Holy Spirit and going against the the counsel of the Holy Spirit and asserting his sinful nature over uh, over what he knows to be right, is that what you're suggesting? Yes, okay
1: uh yeah, exactly and and through our choices that that's what leads to the diminishment of the Holy Spirit uh, his role, even as Christians. We can grieve or, or quench the Holy Spirit. Quench is like pouring water over, over a flame, right? So it's, through taking sinful actions, um, this diminishes the access that the Spirit can influence us. This is the way I, I see it. Um, and the same applies with unbelievers. He, obviously, the Holy Spirit is there's an, uh, is limited in what he can do if you're not a Christian. So there's even so much he can do. He has a limited role, but I believe part of his role from the Bible is speaking to these morals. It's it's wrong, right and wrong to steal kind of thing. You have this sinful influence represented by a devil on your shoulder or something in cartoons, but obviously I don't believe that, but it, it stands for we have this sinful flesh influence versus the Holy Spirit trying to countermeasure that. And then we make our free choice and the Holy Spirit can grow or diminish based on our free will choices to sin or not.
0: um, Or to or to be open to truth and to be a real seeker. And okay. Well, I would, I would say that the Holy Spirit, uh, first of all, I just, I find that doctrine, that idea that, you know, three and four year olds are, are, Sinning in some way that they are knowingly acting against the influence of the spirit. Trying to, I, I find that a, a little bit tough to to handle. Well, that's fine, and but, relativize
1: it. I mean, it, obviously, a baby if it takes a chocolate bar isn't sinning. I mean, it, it doesn't. Why matter. not? The spirit's in him. Uh, no, but he doesn't know. He doesn't have the cognitive ability to. Well, understand. I would say a four year old doesn't know either. Then great. Then that's not a sin. Let's make it an eight year old then. Whatever age of accountability you want to give it. Uh, like, I don't, know, I
0: don't know kids at what age yeah, they become. Yeah, I, I'd say eight-year-olds can't sin either because the idea that an eight-year-old could so offend the will of God, they would burn in hell, or, you know, whatever version of hell you think uh, exists, is still absurd. I, you just will keep it at the three-year-old. It, it's, it's the same level of absurdity to me. Yeah, so well, it, it doesn't get less guess. absurd if you make them ten
1: no I'm sorry I, I, as an 8 year old I can definitely say I knew the difference between right and wrong it doesn't, it
0: doesn't matter though the, I, I couldn't say that I knew the difference between right and wrong too but I, the level of absurdity that little children will be burning in hell or experiencing some version of hell because they are, have managed to offend God thusly once again you just won't keep it at a 3 or 4 year old it doesn't change this the scenario for me at all
1: okay so I don't I, I don't think it does, but I'm not dogmatic on that. This is this is human canon, so I don't care. If you want to say, okay, whatever the age of accountability is, once, once you reach that age of accountability and you start choosing am I going to sin or not, or am I going to uh, be open-minded or not, uh, that creates a snowball effect that either diminishes and or facilitates the Spirit's ability to allow you to recognize the spiritual truths of the gospel message, the essential gospel message. I would argue
0: that no one ever makes that decision. I mean, you know, make the age 26. It it doesn't change the scenario for me either. No one one actively, intentionally thinks to themselves, okay, yes, clearly there's a God. And clearly if I do this, I will uh, stand as an enemy of God. I think I would like to be an enemy of God so I will do this. I don't I don't think that it works that way.
1: No, uh, but you you would admit you've already admitted to me that you've done something that you felt was wrong
0: at the time. Look as a as a 7-year-old I have done a lot of things that I thought was wrong at the time. I thought that I would burn in hell if I died uh at the time. What I thought as a 7-year-old is irrelevant. Uh Do you do Do you
1: do anything that you think is wrong, even in the sense of unethical?
0: I do. Look, I can I can uh, recount many stories of things that I did that I thought were unethical uh, at the time. But I don't. Ethics is a social convention. I don't think that there is any any social convention or breaking of social convention that would uh, that's deserving of you know, offending the creator God to the extent that he would burn you in hell and and call it sin. So for instance, I felt envious before. I don't think this is a big confession. I've I've ladies and gentlemen, I've I have at one point in my life felt a tinge of envy. I am so ashamed of myself. No, I'm not, because that's just human. That's just, we. If you never felt envy, you're not human enough. You should get. Uh, you should get checked. Um, I felt lust. I felt uh, rage. Uh, I felt all kinds of things that you might consider negative emotions. It's part of the human condition. It's part of what we are. I'm not sorry for any of it. I. It is. It is simply what I am as a beast on this earth, and I can live with that. So. Okay. So because I, you've become so
1: hard-hearted you you've quite that's not hard-hearted has no role but at some point but I no. Least... that's
0: not that's not hard-hearted from my perspective I am simply the animal that I that I was born to be
1: okay but I'm saying I'm explaining how you got to that point now where you just you don't care about it you think you told me I don't know if I'm allowed like do you care if I share about your swearing or lying oh way? yeah that's fine you, you go for um, it you told me after you converted you want you went out of your way to like i'm gonna start swearing now that's cool or i'm gonna start lying and that sort of thing right never
0: never never uh, lying but swearing (laughs) yes okay i thought you said lying was part of the condition well Yes, lying there. is a, lying is a part of the human condition. But I didn't start lying after as a Christian. I lied from birth. We all lie. Uh, we never stop lying. So it's, it's the question not is, isn't letting you lie, but it's how did you view the lying then?
1: Did you did you see that as unethical or wrong at the
0: time? But you still went ahead and did it. The vast majority of lies I have ever told in my life, I do not consider unethical. And, and did not at the time, simply because I felt that the lie was better than the truth at that time. We all do. They're called little white lies, and we tell them all day long, every day. Uh, and so, yeah, do I, do I feel like some white lie? If my, if my wife is having a really bad day, um, and uh, she, she makes something that I find horrendous for dinner, and, and she asks uh, how I like it, and i say yeah it's fine when really what i want to do is gag is that's a lie i feel good about it i would tell okay, it again all day every day in the same circumstances okay so okay so i can see
1: again you're try, you're subtly avoiding what i'm getting at but let, let's do this Forget about unbelievers for a second. Let's just, Christians, they have the Holy Spirit, right? The Bible teaches that.
0: Christians yeah. should feel the same way. I felt that way when I was a Christian. What are you talking about? This didn't just no, start sorry. when I, I was a non-Christian. Let, just,
1: just listen and go with me. The, okay. the Bible teaches that all true Christians have the Holy Spirit, right? Sure. Are all Christians in the same state of sanctification or maturity? Or does the Bible teach that Christians have differing levels?
0: spiritual maturity yeah so that's that's a complicated question i'm going to go with the i'm going to go with the varying levels but it's not as simple as that okay so
1: how if you're gonna okay so i'll just assume so how how is that possible oh first of all Um, Does the Bible also say that Christians can grieve or quench the Holy Spirit? And what
0: does that mean according to the Bible? See, not all Christians would agree with you on this. So you're asking for my personal opinion, not the quote-unquote right answer here. But uh, my personal opinion is yes, I think the Bible teaches that uh, a Christian can grieve the Spirit, at least in some places. Okay. In in other places, not so much. So it it depends. So... What does it mean to grieve?
1: Then, um, are you implying to grieve the Holy Spirit, or that different Christians can be at different levels of maturity? Are, are you agreeing with me that there that the Holy Spirit doesn't operate equally with every single Christian? Then, so or?
0: I'm trying to agree with you on this. Like I said, it's a very complicated question uh, that you're asking. It's not it's not as subject to a yes or no as as you seem to think it is so I'm trying to be honest to your question without saying false things that would be misconstrued by say other Christians who would be listening to my answer.
1: Okay okay all right so cool so, so that's good enough then so you can you obviously get where I'm going so I, I just say, well it's the same with unbelievers but just in a different way. The, the Holy Spirit is can go up to a fuller level. With Christ believing christians and and ha, it has a more it has a fuller role it has more um more um, things that it does or more it helps guide us to scripture more scriptural truths and and that's it has more of a role with believing christians but still there are differing degrees depending on the christians why so I, I take it grieving oh if if I'm a Christian, but I continue sinning, I'm going to keep telling little white lies every chance I get because I because I'm going to do it, and I don't care. That will grieve the Holy Spirit, and over time, um, my experience with Christ, I could reach the point where I actually commit apostasy, even because the Holy, you know, I'm I'm not building up my relationship with God and my and the Holy Spirit's influence in my life through through sinning or. You know through engaging in idle
0: pursuits and stuff. so you know this is a, this is be. a strictly theological um, thing that you're bringing up and i what would love to, i I'm would love to... to actually do a show <laughs> on that very topic of uh of what you're talking about um yeah i'm not sure that it's quite relevant to this conversation but i do i, I see your point
1: the point is I, it's the same with the unbelievers just in a in a more restricted, but you,
0: you see right? whereas I see your point, I don't fully agree with it, and I don't especially in terms of unbelievers i don't I don't think that it applies um,
1: does the bible do you agree that the Bible teaches the Holy Spirit has has some role uh with unbelievers
0: I don't know. <laughs> So, so I'm not. I'm really not. This is part of what we're exploring, and so your your synergism slash monergism uh, viewpoint. Maybe maybe I can make a bridge. Um, so one view would be uh, the Holy Spirit is passive. And another view is that the Holy Spirit is active. And and let's say that this is on a continuum. And where how we believe the Spirit works really depends on uh, where we are on that continuum of the Holy Spirit being active or passive. And so the way Christians might explain this, and this is how I've kind of heard it talked about by some Christians, uh, it might apply here. Uh, So the Holy Spirit works in the lives of some Christians more than others because those Christians do more to uh, seek the Spirit. They, you know, maybe the Spirit is over here in a bucket. It's just passively over there. The more of the bucket you, you go and avail yourself of, the more the Spirit works in your life. And if you don't go avail yourself of it, then the less it uh, works in your life. So, but that's the Spirit being passive and us being active around the Spirit as opposed to uh, the spirit is an active force and you are sitting there and the spirit will act upon you to move uh, in certain ways more or less than others. So you seem to be on the spirit being uh, passive end of the the, uh, continuum there. And I am proposing a spirit being active uh on the continuum because it seems to me that it's the spirit that's the one that has to get moving and make the moves within us and and do the action and for you the spirit's sitting there and if you don't go get it well that's your fault but it's it's up to you to go and get the spirit and use it and whatever so does does that make sense that this it does does actually yeah that's i like the way you phrase that yeah i i i
1: see what you're saying i I guess i would say well the spirit is also is active first of all it's got to make that initiating um move um and that sort of thing but yeah there's also that element of passivity that he's also subject to our are taking him up on those conditions to for him to then take over and enter you know allow us to see the truth of the gospel message and that sort of thing and and then we say we meet the gospel conditions and then he comes and dwells in our hearts. So, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. And I, I get why people think, oh, well, that's that's synergism. It's not technically. But, yeah, I, I do fundamentally believe that the human the Bible teaches the human has to respond to he plays a role. He has to have faith. He has to repent or or she, uh, he or she, Uh You know, they they have to do and or believe something to receive the gift of salvation. So yeah, I I guess I get why you think I'm mostly passive. Uh, I do think that there is that element to it, but I would also say he is active in some respects.
0: Um, Right, and I think the thing that we're having trouble uh, getting a meaning of the mind zone is what respects in what way does is the spirit active? So I understand the, the analogy of there's a bucket of spirit over there, go, go get some. Mm -hmm. I get that right. And the more you get, then the more spirit, the more the spirit is acts on you because you got more spirit. What I don't understand is in what way the spirit is active. I don't understand, um, what role the spirit plays on anything? How he actually does it? Because I would think the spirit, uh, you know, greater, greater is he that is in you than than he that is in the world. If the spirit acts upon you, there should be a result. In uh, and... yeah, so let's
1: let's see. It's it's scary doing the analogies, but I think it it might help to under, So let let's say I'm a Christ, true Christian. Uh, there's a big bucket of spirit, and they help them help themselves to that, or whatever. They're open, you know. They're a real seeker as a Christian after scriptural truths on some particular issue. By the way,
0: if someone, if someone go, you know, maybe, maybe Tara or someone out there who's who's good at finding things on the internet, please post a picture of uh, a big bucket of spirit. I just, (laughs) I just want to see that in the forums. (laughs) So.
1: Um, I don't. I don't see it anymore. So okay. Sorry. Anyway, go
0: go ahead, uh, Dale. Uh, the listeners are looking for a bucket of spirit right now.
1: Yeah. So so let's let's say you take a big. You know, I'm a Christian, and I take a big bucket of spirit by opening myself up to, by praying and and really self examining and that sort of stuff. That's analogous to drinking a big bucket of spirit or yes. something. A big gulp. Okay. Then the result is. Boom, geez, I, I, the spirit opens my eyes and I come to a new understanding. And, oh, that's the truth. Okay, or, you know, the theory of the atonement. I, I was thinking, it was, I was just reading this verse about the ransom, but then through engaging in peer review and through the guidance of the Holy, that big bucket of Holy Spirit, um, oh, you're, you mean it's also, uh, there's also the penal substitution uh, theory of the atonement. And they're not mutually exclusive. It's a multifaceted doctrine. I have a now have I, my eyes have been opened to the spiritual truth that the theory of the atonement is multifaceted. Uh, that would be a result that would come about from taking a big gulp of of this spirit bucket.
0: Sure, but I mean, from my perspective, your you know, spirit acting on you is indistinguishable from you just doing things. Because I don't I don't see how the spirit is acting on you any differently than what you're doing. Uh, So, you know, if you've got libertarian free will, and then you're just doing the things that you want to do, and then you're just giving the spirit the credit for that.
1: Well, uh, yeah, so obviously the the negation would be true. We wouldn't come to any in terms of the gospel spiritual truths, like uh, with an un- Believer, if they don't gulp that spirit down, they'll never see the truth. Um, you know, they'll never see the truth of the gospel message. Uh, so that would be a difference. But I get what you're saying. Well, that's just after the fact kind of thing. But yeah, yeah I mean, I, I'm I mean not that's trying that's trying what to... I'm saying. It's
0: it's all it's all kind of post hoc rationalization. Give God the credit. Give give God the glory for things that you did. Yeah, that, um I, I, get really came, I get that you came I'm not trying to
1: prove like a, I, I'm just saying this is how it would work under a Christian understanding. Like I'm not trying to prove no the Holy Spirit actually did open my eyes to the to the truth. Right. Um, but like for I'm, all the
0: but for all the people who don't come to the understanding, for all the people who the spirit didn't work on for whatever reason, they don't see themselves as dishonest seekers. Um You know they're not they're not resistant to true things they just never um, found the Christian story to be particularly compelling Um, they heard it didn't didn't find it compelling they heard Buddhism didn't find that compelling Um, you know I don't it it seems it seems to me that it's very convenient to say well you know these are unregenerate sinners and you know the spirit tried and they they've been rejecting the spirit and maybe they didn't get the you know as high a dose of the spirit as someone else, and, and so forth. I would say that if the spirit has anything to do with you coming to an understanding of the Bible at all, uh, as Paul as Paul puts it, these things are discerned spiritually. They're spiritually. Discerned. By the way, I don't know what that means. What does it mean to be spiritually discerned? Whatever. This is, this is Christianese uh, from 2000 years ago. Uh, that, that means nothing in a practical sense. But if, if you say that the only way to discern certain things are spiritual, and you can't discern it if, you, if you're not spiritual or you take the words of Jesus, you know, my, my sheep hear my voice. Oh, you didn't hear my voice? You must not have been my sheep. Too bad. Uh, I speak these parables so that, uh, you know, people won't understand. And uh, you know those who are supposed to understand will; those who aren't supposed to understand won't. If this is if this is the doctrine, then it seems pretty uh, useless an enterprise for an unbeliever, an unregenerate ungener- sinner, to pick up the Bible and try to read it, because they are not going to discern these truths, because they're truths that are discerned spiritually, and they're not spiritual; they don't have the spirit of God. But, of course, you're saying they do have the Spirit of God, so yeah. I don't, you know, this is, this is, um this is my argument number two at any rate, and um, I will throw it to you for the last word, because I'm not sure that we can squeeze any more uh, blood out of this turnip. If we can, I'd be pleasantly surprised. Uh, I leave it to you. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, so... I guess yeah if you
1: want to be able to to spiritually discern the, the truth you know be aided by the holy spirit to, and come to a knowledge of the the gospel truths if you're if you're an unbeliever um then be a real seeker i mean i'm i i think um andrew and david talked about the fact i don't believe you can control what you believe to be true um you know that that but you can put yourself into a position. Um, where you can change your mind on those beliefs through the help of the Holy Spirit, um, on the, the essential gospel message. Be a real see, be open-minded. My goodness. How can anyone disagree with that? Be sincerely open-minded to learning the truth. If you're wrong, great. You know, uh, just be open to that. What, What the heck's wrong with that? Um, do your best to actively seek. This is the most, um, controversial one, but, Geez, even if you're hundred years old you think you know it all you don't um if an opportunity comes up within reason take advantage of it and do a little bit of research to whatever degree you can or or try to figure out the truth and and pray to god um to help reveal that and say i don't know if you're real but if you are i'm open to the truth help me in whatever way you can and i'll use whatever naturalistic resources i can actively seek and finally, be willing to obey uh, that truth. If you find out God is real, the Christian God is real, Christian God is defined as a morally perfect being, then be willing to follow that, that truth.
0: Um, well, can I, can I say that I'm more open-minded than Paul? Uh, because Paul was out there killing Christians. He wasn't, he wasn't particularly open-minded to the Christian message. It's not like he hadn't heard the Christian message. He was a yeah. Jew. He believed in God. He was killing Christians. He didn't accept it. He was not open-minded. Now, I have never killed any Christians. Um, he was open-minded, right? He was a real seeker. Remember no, I don't think. That. I don't think. I don't think he was because he was out there killing Christians. He was. He was seeking the next Christian to kill. He was on his way to kill yeah. some more Christians when he got knocked on his ass. So it seems to me that God can. Um, God can intercept you. And give you uh, the evidence you need, despite uh, you know whether you're quote unquote open minded or not. I mean, God had to knock Paul down and make him blind, but he did it, and Paul got it. Yeah. And so, if if the Spirit has the ability to do that to make a convert, then it should do that to everyone. you you can't you can't require a greater level of open mindedness for me than for Paul. I don't It's the same
1: standard for everyone I would say well no it's it's a relative standard. all of my criteria or conditions are relative to you doing your best like we Paul didn't have the internet or something or or The historical method, you know, Christians living in the second century didn't have the historical method. And yet
0: there were people who believed, and he didn't. And Paul was in more of a position to see the evidence, to hear the stories, than anybody else on earth. There was no one, there was no skeptic in a better position to hear and evaluate the Christian story than Paul. He rejected it. Yeah,
1: so I would would say he was a, a real seeker, but... If you remember uh, when you gave this example I think I actually modified to say this is just the best thing to do that I can think of in order to uh, in order to have God reveal the truth to you so you sort of brought up well can a Christian how come there are Christians that aren't that are um, closed-minded and that sort of thing and I I think there are people in my family who are Christians who I would say they're they're not real seekers and they should be uh, but yet they've just happened to come across the truth um god's revealed that truth to them through his his divine middle knowledge he knows that it was true so it could be paul was not a real seeker but yet he did have the truth revealed to him nowhere i'm not sure about that though I, I i might argue that paul was a real seeker he well, was it seems profoundly
0: God. unfair to me
1: yeah well i would that part might be i don't know
0: what's can you see how it would feel unfair to me?
1: I would see how it would be unfair if there is someone who's not a real seeker, but they get chosen to have the Holy Spirit revealed to them in such a way that it would, that they would believe, such as with Paul. It was a very specific...
0: All you're saying is God, God needed Paul and he doesn't need me. Well, screw yeah, that guy. So. The only
1: answer is the, Mol- is the Molinistic
0: one. Okay, but your Molinistic answer for me is screw your God. Screw that guy. He, he, he needed those other people, and those people were worse than me. He didn't need me. He was willing to kick me to the curb. And now, You know how many times mm-hmm. I wore out pants on my knees praying for some type of experience? So it's, it's, you know, it's, yeah, but you're not doing that now. Well, no, I'm not doing it now. I was doing it then. And, you know, Paul didn't have to spend 50 years of his life, uh, before God, uh, tapped him on the shoulder. So, I mean, once again, screw that guy. Uh, it's, it's, it sounds like favoritism. Uh, God, God wanted him. He didn't want me. Uh, Paul was worse guy than me. No, but he yeah. But yeah, he, no, he would trust me. He's a I'm worse not, guy than me.
1: I'm not sure. I'm granting. I'm granting this. I'm not sure that Paul wasn't a real
0: seeker, um, but I'm just saying. Granting, well, like I said, that he was seeking possible. Christians to to kill. So in that sense, he was a real seeker. And once again, you you can't you can't paint Paul as a person who just didn't have the information like you were trying to before. There was no one, I repeat, in the history of the world who was a skeptic who had more access to the Christian story and whatever evidences there may have been than the Apostle Paul. He's the guy, if anybody was going to believe on evidence, it was going to be him. If anyone was going to believe on testimony, it would be him. If anyone was going to believe on the testimony of scripture, it would be him. He had more access in education than anybody he rejected it all. God tapped him on the shoulder and said, yeah, no, I need you.
1: Yeah, it, so it depends on whether he was being op- his reason for rejecting it. This is why I'm questioning whether Paul, you can say Paul was open-minded or not. But even if even if I'm wrong, that it's a universal qualification, the only way the Holy Spirit will um, change your mind is if you're a real seeker. Um it could be that even uh, non-real seekers can be can be saved for Molinistic reasons as right. well. Right, and that's and um, that's
0: where your Molinistic uh, uh, reason falls apart for me, because if that's true even once, then God is a respecter of persons. He plays favorites. He has he has his chosen. Screw that guy.
1: Okay, so yeah, I would just say I'm not willing to go there yet. So then let let's. Because people I don't want to get back into a Molinistic discussion let's just say you haven't convinced me that there as far as I know it's it's well, I'm not trying it's, to it's, argue
0: it's, against your Molinism every... I'm saying if your Molinism is true then I am justified in despising this God
1: no no, but I'm, I'm saying I, I don't even need to go there yet because I'm not convinced that Paul wasn't uh, a real seeker as far as I know every person who has who, every person who's a true Christian was a real seeker as far as I know I,
0: I haven't been Fine. Able to. if Paul was a real seeker, then you have no. There, I don't think you have any criteria to suggest that I wasn't. I do. Because, you've told you've told me that you're not open minded to the to the truth. Well, I've also told you I don't fully understand what is meant by open minded. But I can. But I can tell you that during the time that I was a Christian, there was no one more receptive to things of God than me. Now, there may have been people who were equally as receptive. But not more so uh yeah i don't i don't i don't buy that and once again even when i didn't agree with everything that my church said i didn't go out killing people so i i was a real seeker i was a believer uh i was re- i was receptive to the things of god but that's and, and past tense Right? Okay. God doesn't operate on our schedule he's only got to okay himself. fine he he worked he operated on Paul's schedule though he didn't write Paul off simply because Paul rejected his message and went off killing his people um, and Paul's if it, schedule Paul Paul wanted to reach out and become a believer at exactly that point in time no I'm, so what, what I'm saying is Paul um, Paul was doing Paul's thing he had heard the message He had rejected the message many times. He was strongly opposed to the message. He wasn't just an anti uh, or or, uh, a non-Christian. He was an anti-Christian. He was a murderer on top of that. He was a bad dude. Now, this is according to the story. I don't actually know that there's any evidence that Paul ever persecuted the church, (laughs) To, to be quite frank. I don't. I don't. I think there is. Yeah. It, well, if there is, I mean, I know the Bible says so, and that makes for a nice story to talk about the big turnaround of this guy. Is there historical evidence of this? Yeah, but. Um, OK, so then pretty... let's let's just accept that he was a bad dude mm-hmm. um, and he was someone with his back set firmly against the Christian message. His back was set more firmly against the Christian message than mine is today. Right. So this is why I, I've always
1: added this qualification that you always seem to forget right at the end, where he's got to... God's obligation is to reveal himself when in his providence when he, at whatever time he knows will result in the best outcome before the point of no return. That could be five minutes before you die. That could be when... You're 33 years old because he knows you're going to be an Apostle Paul and go out there and uh, convert all the Gentiles and that's and create all these churches or something so it's possible that you could be a real seeker right now and that and God or a real seeker back in time when you when you allege that
0: you were a real seeker like I'm not like so I'm much as, sure I'm as much of a seeker as Paul was when he was encountered by God because once again his back set firmly against the cause of Christianity mine is not set nearly that hard.
1: Yeah, but you're you're saying he doesn't he wasn't a real seeker, in your opinion. Well, so Yeah, well I mean I don't
0: I don't understand all of what you call a real seeker, but I'm just saying if you think that Paul was somehow seeking or open to Christianity, he he was the least open person to Christianity history's ever given us. I don't I don't I'm not entirely sure what that criteria even means if that's it applies true, to Paul. Though. That's not true. He he wasn't the
1: least if that's he was hyperbole. The only person, okay. He would, ne- he would be like the scribes and Pharisees. That, Jesus that appearing was, to him would not hyperbole. convince. him.
0: High what?
1: Purply. That was hyperbole. You don't have to chase oh. that. Okay. Yeah, but I'm just saying, if he wasn't open-minded, an appearance of Jesus never would have convinced him.
0: I think. Uh, well, no, I don't. I don't think that's true. I'm. I'm also not open-minded to, uh, you know, all manner of gods. But an appearance would make a real difference, uh, in what I think about it going forward.
1: Yeah, well I, I think he would it wouldn't have made a difference. I think if he was hard hearted. I mean the, the scribes and Pharisees. Well wait a minute, that's not terrible. fair. If
0: if if Zeus appeared to you I, I understand that you're probably close-minded to Zeus, but I I feel like if Zeus appeared to you in a way that was convincing to you you would suddenly be a, a believer.
1: I could, there's always a way. You don't, other- you don't
0: actually have to be open-minded to be convinced. And Paul wasn't open-minded, at least based on his behavior, but he could be convinced because Jesus made it a point to appear to him in a way that Paul couldn't deny.
1: Yeah, so obviously if Zeus if appears in a way that I can't deny... So I assume he's not just appearing to me or something well, like right. that. I don't, I,
0: don't, I don't care how it does it. It's a, it's a way that you can't deny. That's, so whatever way that is yeah. for you is sufficient. That's how Jesus appeared to Paul, in a way that he couldn't deny. You can't tell me, though, that Paul was a seeker by any definition because he knew who Jesus was. He knew what the Jesus message was. He knew what the evidence was. He knew what the story was. He knew what the people were. He knew how the people lived. He he knew what the scriptures He knew, he knew what the Scriptures said. He, credit for he, he was he persecuting the Christian. He was going from house to house. He saw them. He had a chance to talk to them. Yeah, what do you mean he understand. didn't know? What? What do
1: you think he didn't know? Well, obviously, he didn't understand that the Messiah was supposed to suffer. He didn't under, have a full understanding of the Messiah's did role. Did he not have atone. the Bible?
0: Did, did did we not spend a series? with you trying to tell me that the Bible uh, foretold all of this stuff? Paul was, a, Paul was a scholar. He knew these things. He didn't just become a the scholar morse. if he became a why Christian. Did
1: Saul, why did Saul quote the verse about uh, being cursed if you're hanging on a tree? He had a deficient understanding that that's actually not saying that doesn't okay. exclude messiah being hanged on a tree on the cross <laughs>
0: okay. that's so maybe he didn't yeah. understand everything but he understood right. he uh, he had access to more information about christianity as a skeptic than any other skeptic i can think of i mean who else would have had he was, was part of the sanhedrin he was either on the sanhedrin or buddy buddies with him he knew what christianity was and he rejected it. So right. th- and and but he Trump was and he was not it? sitting around thinking, well, maybe. No, he was he was firmly on the other side of it. Now you keep saying this is a real seeker and I'm somehow not. And I don't I, mean, I just don't know how you get there. Well
1: that's the thing. I can't rule that out that he was a real that he wasn't a real seeker. You okay, if
0: you can't rule that up, out, then on. real seeker doesn't mean anything. Because he's he's heard the message, he knows the message, and he's killing people. That's that's that that kind
1: of. You're judging based on external actions. That doesn't mean that he was not a real seeker just because he got it wrong and he did actions based on wrong conclusions. Um, That that is not the way we judge. No history. Okay, then I
0: can say that I. You can say that I got it wrong and I'm doing actions such as this podcast and my blog based on wrong conclusions. Fine. God should uh, appear in such a way that uh, I would not have any doubts. He can do for me what he did for Paul. He chooses not to.
1: Right now, now you're telling me that the
0: Spirit if you, if,
1: I can, here's why he wouldn't do it for you. why he wouldn't do it for you. If if my real secret criteria are in fact correct and that's the necessary requirement for everyone, including Paul and that sort of thing. Let's pretend I'm right about that. Then, yeah, with you, I have the right to say, based on stuff you've revealed to me, I can psychoanalyze you a little bit uh, because you're here. I can talk to you and you've revealed certain things about your current and even past. I, I would even question whether you're a real seeker in the past. Why? Not because, oh, you, you. I believe everything you say, that you went to these theological libraries, you did everything in your power. You prayed to God. You really... Please let Christianity be true. But that's not being open minded. I, I asked the question well, did you do the same with any religion, other religions, or any other religion? Or was it, no, please just what I want to be true, let that be true? That's not being open minded. That was the lesson. You've got it. Whatever is true, I don't care if that means Christianity is false and Islam is true or Hinduism is true, you know, reveal that to me. I don't believe you said that based on. What you've told
0: okay, me. Okay, well may, maybe I, I, if I become a radical Muslim, strap on bombs and blow up some buildings, God would consider me a real seeker. Um, I, no, I, none not, of this it, makes, it, makes any sense to me.
1: <laughs> well, so even as a Christian, I'm not afraid of you. I, I would recommend go out and be open to studying another the evidences for another religion because I'm not afraid. I, that's what I did. And I think in the end, the Christian God is true so you can do that and then you'll come back to thing. if you're just if you're just saying no I mean you, you guys you skeptics scold Christians rightly so for for being so close-minded no I, I'm only open to evidence that's going to confirm my bias and what's going to support me and I, I that's all I want to hear I, I don't care you know if Islam's is true you're you're uh, you're messed up o- you're messed over okay, so, like, but,
0: you, but so even by that criteria you're throwing Paul in the bus because Paul was a Jew uh, and he was extremely monotheistic and he was killing the people who claimed that, oh no, this Jesus guy, he's also God. And, And he's persecuting that cult because, and I've We've talked about this before. God is never the guy who was open to other religions and other gods He never told his people now examine these other uh, Gods and figure out what is right. That's that's not who God was and so Paul was actually acting within that God's um, purview by killing these quote-unquote Jewish Cultists who were accepting someone else as a God. He was he was well within his right to do that as a Jew uh, and as a Jewish authority So, um, yeah, I think we we talk about Paul being a murderer, sometimes not understanding that he was acting uh, well within the religious guidelines. Uh, He was not not some vigilante, uh, as it were. And so uh, Paul was not open-minded to Jesus in the way that you're talking about, largely because he couldn't. Be open-minded to Jesus. To be open-minded to another God, would have would have put him on the block of being murdered by his religion.
1: Right. So yeah, he's doing it within the a Jewish
0: context, but but in that Jewish context was an anti-open-minded to. Other God ideas. This is what I'm suggesting. No, Christianity
1: they, they don't see Jesus as another God. I, I don't know. Even with the early Christology, right? Like you, you know about the debates on that and that sort of thing. Um, I, I think yeah. So the early Christians say that Jesus shared in the divine identity. This is how early Christology sort of formed very early in the church, in my based on my studies and that sort of thing. This is Richard Bachum's idea. Uh, and Larry Hurtado picks up on this a bit. So um, anyways, what what's my point with Paul being... Uh, yeah, I lost track. I was going to make a point about Paul being open-minded.
0: Um, yeah, it sounded like you were actually helping to make my point, so I, I wish you could remember what you were going to say. So I will just remake my point, it Jacques, jog your memory. Paul could not have been open-minded the way you talk about open-mindedness because Christianity... It was, in fact, the, the veneration of a human as a god. At least it, it became that uh, at some point, uh, certainly by, by Paul's day. So, um, no, I, Paul wasn't open-minded to Jesus being God. He was not open-minded to Christianity being true. He, he was the opposite of that, and that is the condition that God took him and so yeah i don't I don't see how you could uh even posit the idea that Paul was open minded and yet I somehow am not
1: yeah so i think I think he was he was See, the, the point is, we don't, I don't know if that's, you're just making that up.
0: No, I'm not. not and I, but Paul was a was persecutor a of the church 20%. because of his lack of, his yeah, inability right. to be open minded.
1: Right. So he had that evidence available to him that made it seem like it was improbable that Jesus could be correct because, you know, you're assuming this full Trinitarian doctrine was there at that time, which I don't think it was. But um, let's just for the sake of argument say that was the case i think he was open to it he couldn't have been 100 percent warranted against that otherwise jesus appearing to him wouldn't have resulted in anything uh he would have just said well i know this is false this is a demon appearing to me or something like that he would have written it off so obviously he was going with the
0: best okay but that's not the conceit of the story and so this the story is that jesus appeared to him in a way that paul would believe and that's that's why i continue to to, to phrase it that way that's so what I'm it's, it's, it's well it that is
1: it's overwhelmed the the evidence that he had prior to that in correct.
0: isolation correct out. so paul wouldn't have said no this is a demon because he would have known he would have had whatever internal uh witness necessary to him uh to know that it wasn't a demon
1: so that's being open-minded he was open-minded to new evidence that overwhelmed
0: or overwhelmed road his prior okay but i'm telling you that i can but i that that would work for me too bring it on
1: right yeah so okay so So i'm
0: i'm not i'm not open to lesser evidence than that i'm not open to taking your word for it but i'm i'm certainly open to if god wants to deal with me the way he dealt with paul uh that's fair let's do that but if yeah. if you're going to say, yeah, well, he takes Paul because he needed Paul, and he doesn't take me because he doesn't need me, that would be actually better in in some ways than for you to say, well, but Paul fits my definition of open mindedness, and you don't, because that just that is completely incoherent to me.
1: No, so if that's true, I, see, I, I don't believe you because I know what you say. But let's, in the sake of what you're saying right now, let's pretend you are open minded to that. If that happened, that's great. But there's other ways that you should be open as well, right? For, first of all, I could say God could appear to you in the exact same way, five minutes before you die, uh, as long as He does it, or even after you die, at the before the pearly gates or something like that. It, as long as it's before the point of no return, no worries, not a problem. And Nat, I believe Natalie Collins uh, does believe God does that. He's she's said that God actually speaks to her verbally, orally. I'm interested to. To hear about that um so it could be but if there's other evidence that is sufficient and here's where i have a problem with you being open-minded a bit is you said i could even convince you that the ontological argument proves god not the christian god but that god exists and you you're like even if you convince me because i'm stupid you know i'm less smart than you and i can argue that fairies are true or something and you're like yeah you know what i i'm persuaded by this evidence i I think God is true based on this argument. You, you still made it say, I will never accept that because it's a philosophical argument. I don't care if I'm convinced, by it. personally it's, it's wrong. I don't trust it. I'm, I'm too scared to trust in a philosophical argument. That's, that's not being open-minded to truth. It, okay. I, I
0: think it's that's true. very unfair though, because I, I, I feel like I can say I'm as open-minded as Paul. Paul not only was open to philosoph- philosophical arguments, he was a philosopher of his day, taught by a philosopher of his day. So, no, what I'm, what I'm saying is that Paul was not open to the philosophical arguments about Jesus because cause he didn't accept it. See, whatever you think, whatever you're going to put in that bucket of you ought to be open to this or you ought to be open to that, Paul had that and more. He, he had that in spades. And he still reject and he still rejected he, reject he didn't watch. accept he didn't accept Jesus on any of that basis,
1: yeah, but that's because there were no philosophical art that didn't start to come into effect until starting with logo's you know,
0: christology okay, okay modern christology. modern apologetics may not have started uh, before then, but Paul was a philosopher he he surely could have thought his way around the philosophical possibilities of God showing up through this man, Jesus. Beyond his philosophy, he was uh, uh, taught by a a Jew as a Pharisee. He would have had a a better understanding of his Old Testament scripture than we do. So uh, he could have combined whatever philosophy with his Old Testament scriptures. He could have combined what he knew the Christians were saying about Jesus with what he knew the Old Testament said about Jesus. He had access. He had better access than we do. And if there had been any physical evidence at all, like for instance, the location of an empty tomb, he would have had that. Whatever you're putting in my bucket and saying, this should make you believe, uh, you you have to put even more of it in Paul's bucket and he rejected it.
1: Yeah. So I guess coming back to the main point, because I think I'm not sure where we're going with this. So the point is, Paul was open-minded to
0: the evidence. He didn't have... No, he wasn't. He was open-minded to getting knocked on his ass. He was not open-minded to the evidence because well, he had sure. the evidence before.
1: No, he was open-minded to the evidence. I'm sure he listened. His main objection wasn't about God Jesus being deity in the first place. His object, main objection from the writings and everything was about the resurrection This is and the conversion of Hellenistic... Christianity.
0: Okay, but he wasn't I mean, open-minded to the evidence about the resurrection either. What, ev- what evidence of the resurrection was he uh, open to, in your opinion?
1: Right, so he was open to it. No, right, no, he, he wasn't. Was I'm so saying he
0: wasn't. Was, what do you think he was open to?
1: Yeah, he, he listened to their evidence, and he rejected he founded it. He found the empty tomb wanting. He, oh, that's just, it's a stolen body. The disciples stole him. We presume he bought into um, the Jewish Narrative as described in Matthew.
0: That right. Was like, so he I wasn't God, so. open to the exactly. evidence of the resurrection.
1: I don't, I'm not. He was open to it, but he just found it wanting. It took something else. So God fulfilled his role and revealed the truth to him in a way that he would respond to prior to the point of no return. He didn't do it right away, right before, you know, why didn't God show up right before, hey, he could have avoided stoning Stephen, for goodness sakes. Uh, but that wasn't the proper time in God's providence to show up and say, Hey Paul, I'm real. I'm going to wait a couple years first. Um, um, so that's, that's why there's that qualification. But the main point I want to get across though is why, why am I resisting? I, I, I can admit that perhaps it's not the case that you have the only way you can become a true Christian is by being a real seeker. I'm open to that. If you want to argue that Paul wasn't a real seeker. And that that case God in his providence knows who to is best to save as many souls as possible but I'm not willing to give up or or to concede that no everyone has to be a real seeker yet I, I think that Paul might have been based on Paul's example of these because you're engaging in a psychoanalysis of a historical figure that we just we can't know we
0: it, you can right. kind but I'm, of, I'm doing the opposite of gauging in psychoanalysis I'm engaging in behavioral analysis I'm looking at what he what we can presume he knew and what he what we know that he did with that information he rejects idiot
1: right he doesn't describe himself as being willfully when he's describing his times as being so zealous you know it, it's he gives the impression to me that he's like, yes, this is right. This is what God wants me to do. And I'm I'm open to doing whatever God wants me to do. And the evidence presented from the eyewitness testimony wasn't persuasive to him. It's not that he found it persuasive and said, I'm not, I'm not open to hearing that testimony that the tomb is empty or that Jesus appeared to Peter. That's all horse manure. I don't believe that. Uh, I believe in God and I'm going to, you know, God doesn't, the Messiah cursed on a tree? BS I'm gonna follow God. But then once he got the evidence in God's time, he was open to it.
0: He didn't Okay. Well so God God was given a measure of you know spiritual awareness and whatnot, and then he was able to open the Bible and see it plainly after that I guess. And what I would say to you unregenerate uh, swine dog sinners like me I hope is that don't. I don't know why you would bother opening the Bible because, because you cannot discern these these spiritual things until or unless God knocks you on your ass on the way to killing Christians. So that sounds fair.
1: If you're open to any avenue, be whatever avenue convinces you, that's what you have to be open Don't dictate your terms. Say whatever. If a properly basic belief, that's that's sufficient for the vast majority of christians it wasn't for me um but for the vast majority it would be if that's great if you can convince me with just the inner witness of the holy spirit great i'm open to that that's all i need i just want to be convinced of the truth so there's nothing wrong with reading the the bible and if that results and being open and and to the holy spirit's influence and be like yeah this is true um that should be good enough you shouldn't be no i need to come to belief on my terms i i want to look smart so i need an intellectual argument i mean i would love it if if i had 100 percent, properly basic belief that would be good enough for me i mean i would engage in intellectual arguments for the sake of others um but i, I would feel better about that than being in the state where i am now where i'm you know, 53 to 60 percent, wherever I am now with my new numbers, um, convinced, and I have a combination of you know, see how smart I am? I've got the Shroud of Turin, and I've got and I've got a properly basic belief. If if all I had was a properly basic belief, but I was 100 percent beautiful, that's better than where I am now. Um, same deal. If if I only had the Shroud and I was 100 percent beautiful, I don't need a properly basic belief. I've got the Shroud and I'm 100 percent knowledgeable that Christianity is true um so yeah don't don't restrict what avenues you're open to whatever avenue just say whatever avenue will work god you know in your you know in your um with your uh omniscience what will work for me i'm open to whatever that is yeah
0: well i've said that so i mean i i've said that many times on both sides on both sides of faith so all right look uh Decision. it's been uh it's been great i uh i appreciate you uh coming around uh again to help sort this out i can't wait to see how some of this plays in uh, the comments heck i might I'll even see. participate <laughs> this week yeah. so well, I've, d-
1: I've deleted my wordpress so you guys can go on me about my uh the swine thing i'm, if you I'm, want I'm gonna somewhere.
0: i'm gonna i'm gonna see if i can't talk in the Reinstating it. But, <laughs> so.
1: Uh, see, no, I'm, I uh, I was talking to Matt the other day. I, I don't see how I
0: could ever come back on comments on any I know, comment I know. Or just... I know. I just, just, just give me a chance to work my evil magic. We'll see <laughs> what happens, people. Um, okay. There'll be some discussion off mic. At any rate, it has been a pleasure. And I do appreciate uh you taking the time to have this conversation I've learned some things Uh, I'm perplexed by some things but then again this is how I think you're supposed to feel after one of these discussions so yeah that's great
1: I I hope I've planted some seeds even if you guys disagree with it or whatever and it's helping me to come to a a more consistent position so I'll, I'll listen to this and see where I contradicted myself or said something wrong and that sort of thing but yeah that's that's the beauty of these conversations that's,
0: that's most certainly why I wasn't doing <laughs> <It's not. laughs> they never disappoint
1: awesome. <laughs> <laughs> have, have a good week everyone and um yeah I'll be back next week for our
0: Sean McDowell show it's gonna be fun